Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and this is our last regular episode of the TetraCast for 2021. And joining me today are a few comrades, some peers that have been with me for pretty much the entire year. We have Josh Torres. Brad Josh present. Adam Vitale. Hey. We've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And of course, I will also kind of give a, you know, a passing shout out to everyone else that has appeared on the Tetracast from both our site and a few outside of it, uh, such as Colin Black, Paige Chamberlain, uh, who else has been on? Obviously, George Foster. We've had uh, yes. George Yang cameoed on for one week. We've had uh, Jess Reyes show up. Uh, we've had a few other people that names are escaping me for the first half of the probably year. Probably showed up once, once, right? Who? Alex. Did he? Did he, has Alex shown up on a regular week? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Okay, okay. How about pre pre relaunch podcast times? He surely he must have. I actually don't know. Once. I think Alex only shows up for like game of the year kind of shows. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And all I think most all of us plan to be here for the game of the year podcast, which we are planning to record next week, though it'll be a little bit longer before that is obviously public. That will require a little bit more wind up. You'll hear at least most of our voices as well as obviously Alex and maybe a few others. Uh, we might get Quentin on that podcast. I don't know about Scott. Uh, we'll see. We're... We're very quickly wrapping up all of the formalities and all the details on recording that. That's kind of what we're planning for. This week is our last regular episode. Obviously, we might have a little bit of a pure forward into what we are kind of planning to discuss for that week, kind of the games we're playing in preparation for that. But obviously, any of the specific deliberations about what RPG is RPG of the year, what is the top 10, we will hold off for that. So look forward to that. It'll be right around the turn of the calendar uh, when it goes public. We're not sure yet. It just kind of depends on how everything times up with the holiday and the break. Obviously, the big kind of story for this last week are the game awards now both in terms of the awards that we had you know presented as well as the announcements we had a few of us kind of sitting in chat kind of going through them last uh what was it thursday when we were going uh listening to the uh to the presentation and obviously we all have different opinions on you know how much value you can extract from it but obviously there were a few things that we covered on the site that we will also go over with this podcast but as always before we go into that we're going to talk about the games we've been playing, and I know a lot of us have basically kind of been looking at the list of RPGs for the year and trying to figure out what games we wanted to at least get our, you know, get our feet wet before end of the year deliberations, as well as just other releases. We obviously had a section a couple weeks ago where we talked about Halo and a few other of the holiday releases that have come out in mid-November. The first game that we're going to talk about is actually one that's been out a while, but I do not believe we have ever brought up on our podcast maybe maybe in a quick news shout out for when it released but other than that i don't think it's made a been a presence and that is the game wildermyth or maybe wildermyth i'm actually not certain this uh this released in the summer of this year it is a procedurally generated rpg and i don't believe any of our podcast regulars have played it until now so adam has 
recently uh, kind of finished up a few of the projects that he's been working on and has spent the first part of December looking at Wildermyth. So I'll just hand it off over to him. And uh, Adam, what is this game? Why did you decide to play it? And uh, what are your thoughts? So there are a lot of indie RPGs that come out throughout the year. And I think we do a pretty good job at covering most of the like the, most of them or most of the big ones like there's gonna we can't get all of them there's just too many indie projects coming out from developers everywhere like, like we, I, I, yeah and obviously we're just a small group of you know staffers on the site but like i i reviewed things like ender lilies and unsighted i know josh did dodgeball academia um james did death's door page did eastward and all these smaller scale games that are RPGs that we cover, um, but we just we just can't get to all of them right away. There's just too many. And also at a glance, like before these games come out, it's sometimes hard to like determine which ones are going to be worth your time and like which ones are going to be like the ones that you should play. And I have saw I have seen Wildermyth or Wildermyth. I'm actually not sure what it is. I'm going to guess Wildermyth. Um, we'll go with that when it released in early access, like a while ago, like it's kind of been floating around, like I've seen it and, um, you know, at the time it was just hard to tell, like, what is this game? It's like, there's like a procedurally generated story. It looks like sort of like a tabletop type sort of RPG. Um, but I didn't pay it too much attention just because there's so many indie RPGs, right? And, um, but when it released like in 1.0 this summer, um, like I looked at the Steam page and it's got an overwhelmingly positive like reception on Steam. It's got thousands of reviews. And Which I've is a rare, great... rare bar that many games do not hit. Yeah, I think that I think overwhelmingly positive means that 95% of reviews are positive. Um, so think of it like getting a what is it like a 95 on on Rotten Tomatoes or something. But um the so coming up on the end of the year, I had finished up uh, some of the stuff I had been working on, like Final Fantasy V, like we talked about last week, uh, and all that. So I was just like, you know what? I should give this a shot. So I did. And so what Wildermyth is, if you haven't heard of it, so it's a little bit hard to explain, but it basically is a tactical RPG, like a, like almost like an SRPG light. Like it's like tactical, but it's not like super involved or super in depth, like a Final Fantasy Tactics or whatever. Sort of um, in structured within a tabletop campaign that is procedurally generated. So when you play Wildermyth and you like click start game, there are actually five campaigns. There's a tutorial campaign, and then there's like four like story things. And these campaigns are divided into chapters. So uh, how these chapters work is at the beginning of the chapter, you'll get a sort of a, a premise to the story and you kind of create a few characters that you start with. And then at the end of each chapter, you know, there'll be some like event or event battle or fight that, you know, kind of moves it to the next chapter and so on. But in between those, like in the middle of the chapter, in between the start and the end, Everything that happens there is not like bespokely written. It is procedurally generated in in that imagine that you take like a bunch of vignettes, only they're like mini vignettes, and there's probably like a hundred of them or more. And as you proceed through Wildermyth, 
these events basically can happen. I'm sure there's some like rules to which can happen first and which can happen later, but it's it's essentially like random. And before before you go on, go ahead. Yeah. So your your party is it like predetermined and given into you, or do you actually customize your party sort of like a, a Western RPG where you like kind of fiddle with like how it's, you want the party to be? It's 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 not really predetermined. You you roll for characters, sort okay. of. It's kind of like a wizardry. It's in a that gotcha sense, game. No, no, not not <laughs> roll know, for like banner draws. I literally mean like roll <laughs> for stats, like yeah. like wizardry. Um, but so, uh, so, so there's definitely like that. The is it like wizardry where like if you don't get if you want to be efficient at mid max, you have to like kind of restart no. every time. You have to go back and then re-roll or then mm-hmm. go back if you don't get like the maximum amount of skill or stat points. That were allocated it, not to really. It's it's not like exactly like that, but you do roll for characters, and it'll ch- change their appearance. It'll change like some of their base stats a little bit. You know, like their HP and strength, and also their uh, each character has, I believe, three personality. They call them hooks, and these personality hooks will be things like gossipy or bookish or couraged or whatever. Um, brave, I guess. The word I'm looking for, but so uh, you're, like you're not really tinkering, it's basically you, you just roll for like everything about that character is you just roll, yeah, for. okay, yep. And so, with these, these events that happen, so like I said, like at the beginning and the end of chapters, those are basically set. So, as you proceed through a campaign, but everything else that happens is essentially like the game is drawing from a, a big pot of events that can happen, and the events that can happen, I know I, by reading up a little bit on it, it's, the events that can happen is somewhat based on which characters, what your character hooks are. So, like, you have, let's just say, four characters, and they're going to have three hooks each. And depending on which characters you have, the hooks that they have, the relationships the characters have, because characters can either, they can either be a friend with another character, they can be a rival, or they can be a lover. And depending on, like, all of these things these events can take place and how they take place will vary um, a little bit. And also later in the game, especially like the events that take place in like chapter four might vary a little bit based on whatever events you ran into in chapter three. Um, It kind of takes into like a history. So you have like character hooks, you have character relationships and also character history that kind of all plays a part into like how these events take place. So that's when we say, when I say procedural narrative, that's what it is. It's sort of like taking all these different components that are either randomized or just come into play sort of out of happenstance and sort of stitches together these sort of like story packets into a narrative. Can you give like, me I need I need two things I feel like I need. One an example. can you like yeah, I was going to say like can you give me an example of like a story hook? I'm imagining like you find a tr- you find a cave and there's a troll in it or something. But I also just yeah. kind of need you to like paint a picture like when you're playing this game, what are you looking at? Are you looking like at yeah. like an isometric here's my party on a map? So those are kind of yeah, the two I was things to I, that. I need. Oh, sorry. Keep going. So like I don't know I didn't actually look into directly like which hooks lead to which events um but i like as an example of one event and the game has actually several of these there's one event where your characters are in like a cave you're like slunking through a cave trying to get to the other side and one of the characters in your party sort of um they 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 go off on their own they venture on their own i'm assuming they have to have a certain hook to do that 
and they find a gemstone, a special like it's like a it's like a glowing gemstone, and you actually are given the choice as a player: do you pick it up or not? And actually, I think depending on your character hooks, you might get a third choice um, as well. And so, the uh, one of the choices is just leave it alone. I think one of the choices gives gives you the gem as a like as an equipment that you can put on your character that erases one of their stats. And a third choice, um, uh, this is, might sound a little bit silly, but this is what happens: the gem actually gets stuck in their eye, and the their, that character actually like starts to like manifest like a rock arm like an arm that's like full <laughs> okay. of like that's like a golem arm or something it, like nice. they start to like grow like a rock body part and that actually changes the sorts of things they can do in battle so that's just like an example of one event there's another event i know where you're like where your characters are like camping out and um they leave and there's like they see like a ghost or a, one of your characters leaves your camp again they probably have to have a certain hook to do that and they see like a ghost that is kind of just floating around, not really doing much. And they see a vision of this ghost, like hiding their treasure. And the treasure is either like a bow, a spear or nothing. And then like you get the choice, like I need to remember where was that spear I saw or where was that uh, bow I saw in the morning. And if you, whichever one you pick, you'll pick it up um, like a piece of equipment for your characters to use. So there's like, there's literally like a hundred of these sorts of like mini events. They're not really like, story i guess i call them like a story event but it's more just like an event with your party that kind of stitches together into like an adventure um i know someone described it when i was at when i was saying i was playing this game someone described it as like a D campaign where the game is the like the dungeon master kind of like telling you this is what happens and this is what your party is doing right now um and it's genuinely impressive just like how well it all like holds water in terms of like the, the sorts of things that he keeps track of and the sorts and how like um the different permutations that can take place for um these all these different events and how your characters are involved in that but i'll get back to that in a second as to your other question brian about like what you're looking at there's basically two different parts of the game i'll start with the easier part to envision which is just like the tactical part so the actual battles themselves so the battles themselves, they're very similar to a traditional tactical RPG on grid. So it's a grid-based tactical RPG. And your characters, they look like almost like Paper Mario, like they're 2D little like paper um, like cutouts. Almost like imagine like a board game piece. Because it it's, it's, it sounds it seems like it's meant to invoke like a tabletop game, right? So imagine it's sort of like a tabletop 2D little cutout of your characters. And you're you Moving around the, the game board, um, there's a lot of other different like uh, rocks and trees and maybe bookcases or fire pits or all these other things that are around the game board that are also like 2D in nature. So it's, it's, it looks like a pop-up book in a sense is what, it's, is what it looks like. And so that's the easier part of the game to envision. The outside of battle, it, you're, you're on a world map and... The world map is basically a, a big circle, and this circle is divided into a dozen or two dozen like sections, and they're just sort of like randomly cut out of the map. So imagine like like a puzzle piece, only instead of you know a square rectangular puzzle, it's like a circular puzzle with various sections of the map, and this is also randomly generated. And you'll start like at a home base on the map, which is one of the sections, and then in chapter one. A handful of the other sections you'll be able to travel to and 
you have to either you have to go there and scout them out or there might be a battle on a certain section that you, that you go fight which is again like one of these random events that leads to a battle um you might find another settlement that has another person to recruit and some of the sections of the map are also like untraversable there might be like a ocean or a mountains to you know give the map a little bit of like direction in a sense it's not just like wide open all the time so you basically start at one end of the map or wherever you happen to start it's random and you see all these other places that you can go to and then you eventually find like where the end of the map is like where the chapter ends it where the chapter end is and then after a little bit of a story event the map will expand a bit to the next chapter where you can go to other places so i think the game first of all is that like, yeah, it does. Yeah, the fact that, that you described it like sense? a pop-up book and uh, the, the mm -hmm. fact that you say that the battles are just basically kind of a very standard sort of uh, grid-based system with your character icons. Like, okay, I can, I can picture it in my head now. Yeah. Now, um, the tactical RPG side of this is, like I said before, it's sort of like a tactical RPG light. There's only three different classes, so to speak. There's, I actually don't remember the names off the top of my head, but there's like a warrior, there's a ranger, and like a mystic. So it's like physical fighter, range fighter, magic user, you know, pretty standard, like distilled to the very simple basics of it. Now, what, when you level up your character, uh, it almost feels like a roguelike in a sense. It's not roguelike at all, like the game structure, but you get, um, when you level up your character, they get like three different abilities um, that they that basically you get a screen that's like level up, pick one, pick one of three new new abilities, and they're like randomly chosen. So you get to you have to pick one that is you know most appealing to you in building your character. But it, but it is random. That's what I mean by like being like a roguelike. Is you oftentimes get like these random cards or whatever, like a deck builder or something. So you, it's not like you choose like out of a huge list what ability you want it just kind of picks for you like which ones you can pick out of and sometimes you'll get a really nice set of abilities you can choose and sometimes you'll get like three crappy ones and you're like oh man i wish i got something better but it reminds um, me of when you're talking about um void terrarium about the abilities that you yeah. get in that game right and that is a roguelike um or like a mystery dungeon roguelike so and the, the, probably the most interesting class to actually give a little bit of depth to here, the warrior pretty much acts exactly as you expect the, them to. They can either be like a physical warrior or more like a, like a fortress, like a tank. Ranger, very self-explanatory. They attack from far. They do poison. They do traps. The mystic is actually kind of interesting because they don't just like cast fireballs. What they do is they will, This is the, 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 the wording they use is infuse. They will infuse with a part of the environment around them and that will actually affect like a spell they can use once or twice. Literally, like for example, if there's a brick wall in a map, your mystic can infuse with the brick wall, and like one of the abilities you'll get is that you can basically fling a brick at a at an enemy. It's actually really strong. That's actually one of the strongest ones. It's just like this brick flinging thing that you can do. Or if there's a fire pit that's like lit, you can infuse with the fire pit, and then like. Spew fire in a certain okay, so direction. Yeah, so, so essentially, that like your it's, like a, it's almost like a geomancer. A, yeah, it's yeah, it's like a environmentally affected. Yeah. It, it, okay. So that, that that's like the one class that works like a little bit more on like a little bit different. That's cool. Um, I think in terms of like overall impressions of the game, I do think it is technically really impressive. But 
I didn't really land for me as well as I was sort of hoping it would. The procedural generated narrative, it's like cool for a bit, but then it just sort of feels like, you know, when you just have a series of sort of like these random events that kind of stitch together, you can start to sort of see between, you can see where the seams are and like, oh, I see why this event happened or, oh, okay, it's going to do something. When I play through the campaigns, it does get sometimes repetitive where you see, might see an event in various do you, campaigns. Do you always have the same like grand a, goal? Like, like when you uh, start with the campaigns, like, is it always like the same, like objective to quote unquote win or complete the campaign? Or is that? Yeah. Different? Well, the storylines to each campaign, there is like a, there is like a, an underlying story to each campaign. Like for example, um, the, the tutorial campaign is about, uh, about like this oncoming threat, like this sort of ancient, sort of like this ancient threat revived, um, called the Gorgons, and they're like, you know, they're like Medusa sort of type enemies. They're called the Gorgons, and it's like this conflict against them. So, like, like I said before, the start of every chapter and the end of every chapter will sort of move to, move forward that plot, but everything that happens in between it, like with your party, is random. And then, like, there's another campaign that, like, the last campaign I did has to do with this sort of beast-like tribe called the Dralvin, and they are basically reviving like a, a dragon of ancient time sort of thing. Um, and so there's a different plot there that happens. So like the plots to each campaign are a little bit different, but it the, the structure to each campaign is pretty much the same. It's just like big battle or a battle at the beginning of a chapter, usually a bigger battle at the end of a chapter and three or four or five of these procedural events in between those. So like the structure doesn't really change too much. Okay. Um, I think the part of the game that it's still a good game, like, and I do think it's very interesting and novel and technically impressive. So like, don't get me wrong, but the procedurally generated story stuff, like rather than having, you know, like a, a writer bespokely writing, like here's how the characters will evolve and here's how the character interactions are. And, um, you know, theming and whatnot, to be honest, there can't really be any sort of theming or like character development things when it's procedurally generated because it's just sort of these stitched together random events that happen and yet, while there can be some progress from one event to the next where like different characters will basically they might say an extra line if two characters participating in an event in an event are like lovers they might have like a slightly different dialogue because of that but i kind of just felt like i could see through the seams too much where it's like oh um this event is taking place and this is it's taking place in this manner because like my character has this hook or my character is, has this relationship with another character. So it almost started to feel like my characters weren't actually like characters, but just sort of like boxes of attributes and like whatever their box shape was or their attributes that were inside it, like that would determined how these events took place. I don't know if that makes sense. Let me, let me try to uh, like make, make sense of like how this like plays out. And you, you tell me if I'm wrong. So, for example, let's say you have a character, their name is Bob. And uh, let's say you you have this rival character, their name is Keith. And then you go to the manor, and in the manor, you kind of have like a showdown with Keith about something stupid. But it, it leads you to like kind of battle them or have like a confrontation. And then you kind of uh, spat words to each other, like very, you know, uh, not great stuff. Now, like think about like another campaign, you're still playing as Bob again. But then let's say another character, Barbara, has this rival hook, and then you go to the manor, and then, the, is it just, like, is it still, like, the same event, where, like, 
instead of Keith, it's Barbara now having this spat with you, but like the dialogue is similar. Yes. yes. Okay. Like, so I guess I think uh, reading up on it again, I think how the game works is within one campaign, you will never see an event twice because I think overall you might see like 30 events. That's a rough guess. Maybe it's more like 40. I'm not sure. Um, or maybe it's more like 25, but you'll see roughly that number of events and um, they'll never, they'll never repeat. But then on like a second campaign, you will see like the same events again. And like you said, it's sort of just like, it's the exact same event with, you know, 90% similar dialogue with maybe just some slight variations here or there, depending on the characters, like their attributes or whatnot. And I should also mention that like a campaign takes about like, let me just say roughly five, six hours to complete. So they're not that long. So I did all five campaigns. So that took me like 30, 40 hours, roughly um, more like 30, I think. So, so it's not really that outlandish to think that you're going to play more than one campaign and you might see these events more than once, more than once. But it's kind of like you said, when you, when you start to see like the same event again, um, in a second campaign, it's just like, oh, I see what it's doing. It's just, it's exactly the same as before, only with like a, maybe a very slight permutation on it. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe, it just, maybe it's one of those things that's like complete a campaign and like kind of cool on it for like a few months or yeah. weeks and then do like another if you're, if you're up for it again. It's because like if you try to like marathon them back to back, like in, in your case. Yeah, I think, I think the longer I played, the more you sort of like, like the, uh, the facade is almost like disappearing or you can kind of see like, Oh, I see how it's like what it's actually like doing behind the scenes now in, in terms of like this procedurally generated narrative. So that I think that almost like the longer I played it, it almost worked to its detriment where I could sort of like the magic was sort of fading in a sense. And it's an interesting thing because like, it is very impressive technically in what you're saying, like how the procedural yes. generation stuff is, sounds really, really cool. But it, like, obviously this game was made by people. It's not like, AI yes. made this, but it, there is like this sort of feeling and how you describe it in like in the, the screenshots that I'm seeing of like it is like a what if thing of like what if one day we pick up a game and like that game was not made by another person, which is like all AI collaborating mm -hmm. with one another to make a video game. It's like oh, that's one thing that's actually kind of like nifty as well. Um, when you're when you like see these various events, um, it'll actually each event has like a title. So like when you like, I don't actually remember any of the titles off the off the top of my head. But like, um, if you're entering a cave, you might and like, you might see the event. The event will pop up and it'll say like the hidden cave by, and it'll say written by like some author. So like it actually has like the authors who wrote these little story packets, the developers of the game. They'll actually yeah. like give them credit like which ones wrote which like event that happens. So I thought that was kind of neat. That's, that's neat, and I, I wish more like games did that. Like, it, like as as much shit as MGS Five has with like having Hideo Kojima's name all over every fucking chapter. Like, it, it there is something cool about if you try to like make that kind of like cinematic game, like having like the like a staff list of like the people who worked on like this chapter of the game. Like that, there is something yeah cool and neat about that. rather like, so than just having like a list of writers in the main credits and there's like eight names and you don't know like, yeah who to it's, like, to it's like a whole big credit li list so it's like you know like uh, like the, the the downside of that for MGS five of course is like you it spoils like the characters that like appear in that chapter it's like oh I didn't know this person was gonna appear in this until you know the staff list told me uh, beforehand yeah now one thing I didn't mention and I didn't do um. 
is that you can play this game in multiplayer. Okay. So it's uh, I know some people like that I know actually they played like a campaign in co-op where as far as I understand like you know one of the players will get control over like two or three of the characters and another player will get the other two or three characters and you basically play the game like in control of your characters and your partner can do the other characters and I don't know how that I don't know how that comes into play for like the events like depending on what character is involved in an event one of the players gets to choose what happens or not because there are choices you do get to make that will affect things like like I mentioned the gem like it affects whether your character will go through a transformation or just get an equipment um but yeah, the, the, that that sounds like now that like introduced multiplayer to the mix. Now this like this game now feels like a, like a beginner's a beginner D and D platform. Yes, like, yeah. A lot of people can get into it, and don't, none of them have to worry about being the GM or the DM of it. You know, yeah. The stress that like you know the, the responsibility that carries. Yep. Like you can all just participate and not have to worry about that. And of course, like anything is more fun in co-op, right? Yeah, yeah. Like everything is. So, um, if so. Overall, let me let me let me just be clear here. I still think this game is really cool, and it's definitely like unlike anything else. You know, there's a couple of other like tabletopish sort of games, right? But in terms of having these sort of this stitched together narrative um, of your characters and things that you do pick with your characters may actually affect like future things as well. So you do have a little bit of like agency in there, but it is still like kind of just like randomly put together. Uh, and that does allow it to like each campaign you play will be a little bit different um, in terms of what happens to your characters because it's 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 basically drawing from a hundred to diff- hundreds of different events. Um, I think my overall like impression of the game, if I had to like distill it down into one like sentence, is that I think this is really novel and genuinely impressive, but it's not quite as interesting like as the end product as I was hoping. And maybe, like you said before, I think actually me playing through all all five campaigns back to back to back probably actually didn't do it any favors because I start to see like the patterns and how it's actually like putting it together, and it did start to feel a little bit robotic. Mm-hmm. So you kind of something. It reminds me of like Odin Sphere. Like you know how you play the same character. I mean, like well, it's kind of like the same gameplay structure with all the. Five oh, if you, if you play like. All, if you decide to play like all five characters, by the time you get to the fifth one, it's like repetitive. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you get you have to play one character and then cool off, come back to it in a year, and then play another. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a really cool game. I think um, it's. I think I actually do know some other people who, maybe in a similar boat to me, they played it and bounced off of it. But it's a sort of thing that it's like. It's kind of. It's, I'm trying my best here, but it's a little bit hard for me to like describe I think, it. I guess because yeah, it's so I different, think, and that's. Cool. I think this is a game that's like not like super targeted towards like hardcore RPG players. Like you know, we played a lot of RPGs in our time, but yeah. I think this is this game like is more targeted to, towards like people who want to have like a very casual D and D experience and don't want the setup that comes along with it. It's like just hop in mm-hmm. and have a like a just easygoing time with it, and like this is kind of. Just the thing that you can like. I I really wonder like if this is why this exploded in popularity on Steam because like this is now I, does it have online support, online co op support? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, actually, I think the co op is only online. Okay, I might be wrong. It it, it has an but... online co op and land co op uh, uh, tag on Steam. So oh, okay, so it might be both. Yeah, so I think that that maybe like 
partially why this exploded on Steam and popularity is because this is like one of those like easy to hop in games. Like it, like you can play p- with people who don't like are really into D and D but want like sort of like a D and D experience. Yep. Do you think this I game is probably the its, uh, overwhelming positive rating? Well, like I'm probably going to review this game because I kind of feel like I should. And I'm thinking probably like an 8 out of 10. I, I, I know I'm not quite as positive on it as maybe some people are. Um, but still, an 8 out of 10 is a positive review. So like I would just be adding to that 95% positive. So I think it earns it. Like My review is going to be positive. It, it's not like a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> But still positive. So. Right, the difference between the Rotten Tomato style and the Metacritic style. Exactly. So. Do you think that this game is going to be in deliberate? So you're basically, when we're looking ahead to Game of the Year deliberations, when we get to this game on the list, it's got to basically be you again talking about it, as far as I know, because I think you're well, the that, only that, one. That on... happens every year. They're, like, I, I, was, like I, I put together, just, just kind of a slight aside, I put I put together the list for the poll this year of how many RPGs are in the like um, that came out this year, as well as how many RPGs are coming out next year. And there's more than a hundred that released this year. There's like 150 something that I have on the list, and there's like already more than a hundred for next year. Now, not all of those are going to land next year, but there's a lot of RPGs. We can't all play all of them. That's just impo- it's literally impossible. There's not enough hours yeah, in the that, day. That, there will there will definitely be like a good handful of like there are so many RPGs this year, and there will uh, naturally there will be RPGs that like only one person has played on staff, and we'll have to like yeah. who really loved it, and we'll have to try to like yeah we we kind of have to out. trust each other to some extent exactly. Like, exactly. So, um, but and and yes, it, that does mean just with any staff awards, not just ours, but any staff awards, uh whichever game got played by the most people might have just kind of that bias in a sense to like be the winner or do well. Now in terms of Wildermyth specifically, um, one of our category awards is design and immersion. I don't know about that. That's, that's kind of the award. It's sort of like best game design at game awards, right? It's kind of, it's a little bit of a flexible, like admittedly openly flexible topic, but like Wildermyth, I'm kind of thinking like no other game is designed like this. So might be worth considering in terms of its design because it's unlike anything else for that category award. Um, you know, I don't know about like top ten, maybe sneak in there in the second in the bottom half. But there's been a lot of good RPGs this year, though, so it's really hard to say at this point. But I I will nominate it for that like design and immersion um, category because of its spe- specifically its design is unlike anything else. So. The next game we're going to talk about is one that we briefly touched on last week, and this is obviously a major release for December, and that is the new expansion to Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. Now, we talked about this kind of very, very briefly. We just skimmed the surface last week uh, when we had Chow just basically talk about his experience simply trying to play the game (laughs) at lunch. And I do think a lot of the more meaningful discussion for this expansion, obviously because of the issues logging in, because of just the length and the the amount of content to go through, I think it's still a little bit too soon to get really into like the you know the lasting impact, how what this contributes to the overall package, all all the sort of like deep rooted questions for 
Final Fantasy XIV online. But now that we have uh, both Chow and James here and have both had a chance to make some progress into Endwalker, figured we uh, we touch on it again, give some just general impressions about what it brings to the table, maybe what some of the new classes play like, just the new environments. Uh, this is going to be general impressions. This is not going to be how the expansion ends or you know very clear, obvious spoilers. So this will just be basically you know take one on the impressions of this newest expansion for Final Fantasy fourteen. And since um, since Chow was able to talk about it briefly last week, I'll hand it off to James just to start out. But obviously, we'll I expect some back and forth as they talk about their. Um, the general takes as they basically just started out this expansion uh, as it released. So, James, Endwalker, All right. uh, yeah, just boil it down yeah. into like its core components. Uh, how uh, is before it? Before <laughs> that, I just I just want to say as an aside, uh, both Chow and I have finished the MSQ, and uh, he at least posted some uh, strats for one of the extreme trials already in the <laughs> yeah. chat. It's like, and I've been running it too. So yeah, we're we're both done with the MSQ. Um, I think we both liked it quite a bit. Um, I'm not sure how Chow feels about it in the grand scheme of things, like compared to Shadowbringers or whatnot. Like, I, I feel it's either the best or the second best. That's how I, I rate it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I, a lot of people seem to forget that Shadowbringers is not perfect. There is a very sluggish middle to the game that people yeah. seem to forget that existed and just pretend everything's perfect because it has some really hype moments in the game. Yeah, in contrast, like, Endwalker, like, a lot of people say, oh, why is there these slow moments after these periods of tension? It's like, that's intentional. If the game was nothing but, like, constant, like, hype moments, it would get tiring after a while, and those those slower-paced moments are meant to kind of give you a refresher, especially with not talking about any specific spoilers. In some ways, Endwalker is like a horror game with some of the shit that happens. Now, it's now, just just to kind of too. set the stage a bit, <laughs> like how long if you're mostly focusing on the main story quest and you're not trying to like spend a, a lot of time doing extra activities, just how long does it take once you're once you're through the queue and you're logged in and you're playing? How long like is this like a 15 hour experience or more than that, less than that? 40 hours, I'd say. Oh, I say wow. 30 to 50, 30 to 50. Yeah, so like 40, basically splitting the middle. Now for like, an MMO, that just seems kind of insane. Enough. Like when I was playing it, my my guild was giving me or my FC was giving me a hard time for not doing the entire Efer current quest fin- before finishing the MSQ. I'm like, what? You know, come on. They said I need to do the entire Efer current quest before I can call my legitimate not. You know, how, how can you say you've experienced the expansion if you're just trying to complete it so you don't get spoiled? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah you get the idea. Yeah, okay. All right, I have, I have one question. Did you guys get your pizza emotes? Uh, uh, they don't get sent out until next week. But did you have? Like, did you already order from Grubhub to secure we your? We did, code? but we don't know if it went through because the promotion was kind of jank, and nobody knows yet if it actually worked. Oh, I didn't yeah. even try because I'm in Canada, so I don't even know if this promotion exists there, or yeah. so I didn't even bother. Smart. But uh, yeah, if you want honest impressions, I think Endwalker is the best story for an expansion for Final Fantasy XIV. And uh, definitely the best story I've experienced in a game this year. Um, 
That's high praise. Like that's like I don't, I don't want I don't want to just let that lie because that's like that's really high praise that you just kind of like casually threw out there. Like yeah, best it narrative is of the very year. hype. Um, I feel like it's generally the consensus. There's still like a contingent of people that prefer Shadowbringers, and there's nothing wrong nothing wrong with that because Shadowbringers is still a, a fantastic story. But um, you look around, and I think there was like a thread a- left like a poll on Era, basically saying, "Hey, which one?" Which expansion do you think had the best story? And I think right now, and Walker is at like 58, 59%. That's. It's a yeah. different emotion that you're dealing with. Like, yeah. both games are dealing with a different side of your emotions. And I feel like, depending on how you relate to these emotions, is how you feel about these yeah. expansions. Yeah, everything I heard about like the the story is like it's really building and building up and paying off like their last decade with the game, essentially. So if you've been with Final Fantasy fourteen like every step of the way like in terms of like length of time even if you just started out obviously but if you really went you didn't like buy like a boost to like you know the latest expansion or anything it really it really pays off in a big way for those people yeah it's definitely a case the case where the more you put into the game the more you get out of it with this expansion with all the i've seen several people sorry i thought you were finished um apologies for that but i've seen several people after like beating the beating the campaign um, for Endwalker, saying things like, you know, because this is basically the end of like the first, like story arc, right? Like broadly, is that yes, correct? Yes, it is. It is the end of the first story arc, and the next. Story so, like arc most, is... so a lot of things wrap up at the end. No, I yeah, have yeah. not played Final Fantasy fourteen, uh, so I, I don't have the specifics. But anyways, but my point was is I've seen people saying things like, you know, they 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 literally like attach memories of their real actual lives to like endwalker like over like people saying stuff like over the last 11 years this journey has been you know one that i've like i can like i can literally like append parts of my life to it um and you know like that it's like been a long almost like lifelong journey in a sense being this mmo um taking place over the course of a decade and more um like that's how much it means to some people they've been playing this you know for a more than a decade is a long time yeah, and yeah, I know, yeah. like Andrea, Andrea actually kind of joked, but like, there's some truth to it that like she doesn't remember like exactly like, like when did I get my new puppy? Like Vega is one of her dogs, and it's like I don't remember what year that was, but it was it was like right around Heaven's Ward or whatever. Like she actually like literally like uh, catalog catalogs her life by by Final Fantasy fourteen expansions, which you know is kind of a little bit funny, but there's some truth to it. Yeah, and you, and you have to think about it too. Like that, like the, this game, obviously, its importance and this whole series will like you know means different things to different people but there are but there are literal marriages that came together because the, the those two people met each other through ff14 you know you just have to imagine that like real relationships happen you see you meet lifelong partners friends you know like it's just it's one of those things like it's so cool to see that like the time that you put into it into a game that you love so much like and things that really meant to you that come to you along the way friends lovers etc and like to see that that game pays off in like in a great way that makes you feel good like that's that that that, that feels nice you know because everything you've done up to this point doesn't feel all for naught yeah and mm-hmm. it's it really can't be like overstated just how impressive it is for them to stick the landing because there's so many long-running stories out there that just fumble the ending, even if it's like generally pretty good. There's you like so many stories. 
there's like issues that really hamper things. And, and you look back on the experience and it's like, man, that ending just wasn't fulfilling. And I feel like for most people and Walker has definitely been a case where it's like, actually, no, this is like a, a fantastic conclusion. And if anything, it makes a lot of the events leading up to it, like land all the harder. Like there was multiple moments in Endwalker's story, again, not talking about spoilers, where it made me think of events in the story, like story past and think, man, this makes that um, situation land all all the much harder and whatnot. And I think uh, Chow probably knows at least some of the events in Endwalker I'm thinking of when I say that. It's, it's a real strength and it's i just hope <laughs> that the cues do get better soon so pre- so the people that don't have that much time can get back to the uh, story themselves or even start it cuz it's like if and walker had come out 4 days earlier it would absolutely be a front runner for her game of the year cast just by virtue of how many 14 players are on on staff yeah so as a reminder uh i don't believe that this is the exact same criteria that the game awards uses if that's as if that's a benchmark i don't know but uh for our purposes uh december is kind of our cutoff so like our year is december to december so endwalker will be in consideration for next year which i think is fair just because obviously uh by the time we're talking next week not everyone will have had the chance or the time or the luck to be able to get in and play. Obviously, to to fully digest the expansion and play all the classes and all the new tweaks and areas, just is going to take some time. So, when it comes to this year, if we're talking like Final Fantasy XIV as an ongoing game, it's basically going to be up to the launch of Shadowbringers, but not including it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Up to or sorry, uh, Endwalker. Yeah, I said as soon as you made that noise, like yeah, Endwalker. All right. It's also better this way because after like a year, you'll have more of the game and you can rate it as a even a whole. Because I don't think like a Final Fantasy expansion is complete without the post game patch. Well, in this yeah, one, I, we the story is complete, but it's still going to be supported with post expansion content. It's just going to be kind of shifting it towards a new story arc and maybe more of a gameplay focus in terms of uh, you know raid and you know PVE content and less narrative, as far as I understand. And like, there's also this one thing. It's like you, I mean, we're like talking about like, say, Shadowbringers, for example. If you're just completing the 5.0 base game, it was fantastic. But if you add like the 5.3 post game patches, that was like it sealed the deal as one of like the best Final Fantasy games today. Because on that, clear, though, to be clear though, and Walker is unique in the sense that they specifically made the 6.0 patch like more substantial because they weren't going to follow up. Well, they weren't going to conclude the Endwalker story in 6.3. They were going to conclude it in 6.0. That is true. I mean, but I'm just saying like as a whole, like there's like these post game patches that kind of add significance to the game. Right. So, I mean, like currently it's just going to be like setting up the next saga, whatever that could be. Right. Yeah, and plus we don't have the uh, eight-man raids, the 24-man raids. We are supposedly getting a new deep dungeon this time around, and I would be shocked if we don't get another um, Baza, like, Eureka-style zone. So it's like, there's a lot to come. There's, like, obviously going to be an ultimate, like, pretty soon, because they had to delay one out of Shadowbringers. 
So there's a lot of content to come. And I think if not this year, next year's game near cast would probably be Final Fantasy's uh, spot for like ongoing support. Right. Obviously, oh, it'll still be in consideration for this year in terms of whatever. Uh, I don't remember like when uh, is Shadowbringer six or five. Sorry. Five. Five. Like when did 5.4 and 5.5 land? If that landed in this year, we'd have to consider those for ongoing game. Uh, yeah. But it'll be kind of hard to recalibrate our, our mindset to say like, all right, best ongoing game, but we can't count uh, Endwalker itself. Like uh, moving away, obviously from like narrative and like your your thoughts on narrative. Like, how do you guys feel about you know the classes that you play? You know, and the and the Endwalker. Like, any any cool new stuff that you guys got that you're really thankful for that they updated in Endwalker? I only played two classes so far, or three classes so far in Endwalker. I played the Dragoon, I play a Scholar, and I play a Sage. That's what I use, and I'm so, not sure what James did. So I've heard that Scholar. Even though it didn't have many changes to like its tooltips, apparently the fairy is a lot more responsive now to the and there's like some changes to the way that shields work where apparently the shield um, gets it's brought. just like fine tuning it. It's like, yeah, I mean, like, like people were raging from the trailer because all it showed was that speed buff. But you know how powerful that speed buff is for like savage raids? It's just it doesn't look cool and flashy in the trailer, but that skill is like god tier useful though. Yeah. And like Andrea, like I've been talking with her and she says that like for, since she's a scholar main, like there's some really cool stuff like the fact that when you're casting your shield heals, the shields get procced even before the cast finished to finishes basically at procs as soon as you can slide cast, which is insane. Which um, I guess that's some jargon that if you don't. Oh, play, I was gonna actually say like, do I poke sense. at this to try so, to unveil it okay. or just let it lie? So, slide, <laughs> so when you're casting magic in fourteen, there is a te technique called slide casting where if you, I believe it's the last half second of the cast, you can start moving and the cast will finish. Like it'll it'll complete. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to do this when I, was, when I was playing Black Mage in the game. Yeah, yeah and that. and if you uh, move before then, then it just cancels the casting animation. But basically, the way that she alluded it is that apparently the shields will proc even before the cast finishes, okay. but it will proc around the same time that you can start slide casting, which is really really cool. But um, yeah, generally, like I think I said this about the preview, but. Most of the classes did not see massive changes. There's like some, there are some like um, exceptions. Like Monk has been drastically changed. I don't play Monk. Summoner was drastically changed. I do play Summoner a bit. I kind of actually, I do miss Dot Mage, but I, I understand that a lot of people really, really like the new Summoner and it's great. That's great for them. Um, but overall, most classes are almost the same just with some slight tuning that makes them feel smoother to play i hear like, reaper is the new hot shit like, oh, like people really yeah. love reapers in the, in reaper the is great it's essentially a case where it's like hey bro i heard you liked burst windows so so we put a burst window in your burst window so you can burst when you burst yeah i hear they, they pump up a lot of damage and people are they they're probably going to be nerfed uh sometime yeah. Um, but for example, like Paladin, like 
I started playing through Endwalker with Paladin, and usually with an expansion launch, you log in and it's like, okay, how am I going to have to mess with my hotbar because like half the skills are gone? I hop into Paladin, everything's exactly as I left it. Did not need to touch my my hotbar once the nice. entire MSQ. Um, no. The dragoon is this last or kind of like this key skill back then, right? It's called the Blood of the Dragon. You it's basically a trait get like now, which is better. yeah. It's a lot better. Basically, like, Josh, like, if you play fighting games, we're going to use fighting game. It's yeah. like you're trying to maintain this combo, and <laughs> you have to do the entire rotation to keep this combo going. And I think people just hated using it, because at that lower level, it was really hard to maintain it. Yeah. Oh, so and it's, just, it's, it's, and it's different as now? A trait, is it always, as a trait, is it always on you now? It's always yes. on, and you don't okay. have to worry about it. And yeah. the new, the new uh, change is that, like, at level 90, you get this one new skill that allows uh, it basically turns the dragoon into like an AOE monster. So it's really good <laughs> for like clearing like trash mobs and dungeons and stuff. You still jump with the dragoon uh, as a regular, right? Yes, you always jump. Uh, you need to use the jump to activate this uh, burst skill. It's I can't really say the burst skill. It's okay. a very hard name to say. Okay. But Sorry. it's uh, but basically once you activate it, you can use uh, this really powerful ability called the stigma jump. Mm-hmm. Which is like, or Star Drive, Star Jump Drive, right? It's like a red giant burst jump. You can actually see that ability in the Endwalker trailer, cinematic trailer, when Estinian does his jump. All right. Uh, th- any other like uh, general impressions uh, for now? Like well, whether it's like exploring the moon or if that's. Uh, yeah, I was going to say thing the last I thing really... we haven't talked about yet is like environments or the new areas. Okay. So basically, the. Best environments in the game are the ones that weren't talked about, so I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, okay. Instead, what I'll talk about is a mechanic thing that they do in Trials, which is consistent with all the Trials in the expansion. It's nothing spoilery, but one thing I really, really like that they've done with Encounters in, um, and Walker is that they've taken advantage of outside of the arena for mechanics. Like, for example, the first trial has a move where he basically kind of makes these constellations in, in on the side of the arena, and they correspond with sections of the arena, and you have to be like, okay, there's not a star in this section, so that's a safe spot when they come crashing down. Or in another one, there's, like, these timed, like, planets colliding and that causes an AOE, and you have to pay attention to them as they're rotating, like almost like clock hands, and you have to position yourself because it's like, okay, when are they going to collide, and where are they going? And surely, like surely it is. Uh, There's an easier mechanic to understand than prime numbers, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I were clear to eat in savages um, back before the before uh, the expansion landed. So I hear prime numbers is a really big roadblock for a lot of FF14 players. Well, it's not like a roadblock. I think the problem is it's like if you did the Boja version, it's like, oh yeah, can you do multiple timetables of free? But before I do that, I'll fear your character so they go in the wrong direction first. And that's why you can't do the math. Uh, that sounds great. I can't believe this game requires me to do math. Jesus Christ. And it makes it even better to hear the Final Fantasy Tactics music going running with it. <laughs> Does anyone remember the, what is it, is it the uh, calculator job class in Final Fantasy Tactics? I never fucking touched that class, dude. Uh, arithmetician or whatever it is? Yeah, like it was like the most broken job class from what people said, but I have no idea how to do math. 
I mean, I was just like, it was so much work. I was like, I'm too lazy to do this. <laughs> I have a math degree. I'm I'm built for this. I can do this. There you go. You're ready for the FF Tactics remake remaster whenever that gets announced in our lifetime. I forget. Was that in the uh, Was that in the Nvidia leak Tactics yeah, remaster? No. I think so. And Chrono Cross. Remember, guys, Chrono Cross. <laughs> yeah, more uh, more oh, on right. that later. All right, that sounds great. Yeah, Ed Walker sounds, you know, uh, I, I'm glad that it lives up to expectations and, and shatters them. You know, that's that's really cool to see that, like, the amount of time and effort people have gone through over the years for this game. And just like the, and, and remember, like, FF14 is still one of the biggest, biggest comeback stories in video game history. Just now, it's weird because as an outsider, I feel like if the if the consensus takeaway was yeah endwalker is not as good as shadowbringers but shadowbringers was a high bar so we're fine with that like if that's what if that was the takeaway i'd be like people would be content but it's the fact that a takeaway is this dispute whether it's better or not than shadowbringers which already set the bar high is just like what else could you ask for the fact that the bar was already where it was and endwalker still might have cleared it is just like okay jesus christ they lived up to the expectations which maybe you would have expected couldn't have been met but they were anyway so best case scenario or best best outcome possible i imagine development was not easy because this was i am sure this whole thing was developed if not most of it developed under covid times as well yep so similar to adam i've also kind of been looking at games to kind of sort of at least uh try to finish up before we go into deliberations for our site so i've been looking mostly at rpgs Adam obviously went to a Wildermyth, Wildermyth. And then one game that I had left unfinished from earlier in the year uh, was Fantasian. Now, I Fantasian obviously is the Apple Arcade game released by Mistwalker, the developers behind uh, Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. It was released in two halves throughout 2021. So I'm not going to treat this like a new topic because it isn't. But I had kind of played the first half my Apple Arcade subscription had lapsed. Adam and James had played the second half. Uh, and I know Josh had already, had also touched on it as well. And I just kind of didn't want to leave that unfinished going into the... I didn't want to have to go into the deliberations next week and always caveat my opinion with, well, I haven't completed the second half, but... Or I haven't touched the second half, but... So I took December to basically try to fix that mistake and uh, try to just at least get through it. Maybe not completely to the credits, but at least figure out how the second half of the game plays. So I re up my Apple Arcade subscription, and for the last week I've been playing Fantasian again. And the most recent game that I've played beforehand was um, Shin Megami Tensei Five. And the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like both of these games, in a weird way, are kind of like kindred spirits in that they're both turn-based RPGs, and that they're both fairly difficult on their like standard difficulty setting. Now, obviously. Shin Megami Tensei 5 has a free DLC like story casual mode, which is obviously completely valid if you just want to see that. But I have been probably having to engage my brain and like strategize and get frustrated more with Fantasian than I had been with Shin Megami Tensei 5. I feel like Shin Megami Tensei 5, once you kind of establish a few key habits or you kind of learn the best progression for like how to set up your party or how to progress demon fusion or um, just kind of techniques for taking on bosses i feel like it becomes very manageable where fantasian i feel like 
I'm fighting bosses that my level, like Fantasian gives you sort of a recommended level to take on any of the, uh, whether it's a side quest or a main quest. And even at that bar, I'm finding myself like really having to strategize and figure out like what's expected of me. I think it's probably one of the most tightly tuned RPGs that I've played in some time where if a boss fight had gone on like one or two rounds more, I would have probably failed, but I had to put in a strategy where basically I just win by the skin of my teeth, which is kind of like nerve wracking, but also exhilarating in a way. And yeah, we've I, gone. go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I remember when I was playing through it, I had the distinct feeling that almost all of Fantasian's boss fights felt like, unless you knew the exact strategy you needed to use. And even if you did, you're inevitably going to lose if you don't complete that strategy quick enough. Like every single fight in the game is basically a round of triage in a, in a sense. And a lot of it is kind of using the hints of the dialogue or using the hints of like, you scan the enemy and see what it's weak to. And you say like, Oh, this is a boss fight, but it is weak to the effect missed, which is basically like blind. And then once you blind it, you realize that the fight actually becomes way more manageable where it's like, if I had never like registered aha, I should try the status effect on this boss. I would have struggled so much more. And I enjoy games that are challenging they're frustrating in the moment when you're struggling on them, but I do think that the payoff for succeeding that challenge is worth it in my mind. I know that's not a mindset that everyone has where if they I have actually to take... completely agree with you. Because there have been bosses where time. I'm on I, I was I was so this game is set up in two halves. It was released in two halves. And the second half, the comparison that we made, this is a very easy, almost like superficial comparison, but it is still a valid one, to Final Fantasy VI, World of Balance, World of Ruin, where you play through the first half of the game, it kind of establishes this is the world, these are the characters, this is the premise, and then a major event happens, and then you're basically like, all right, you already know the world, you already know the characters, you already know the premise, now we're going to kind of open it up to you, and you can you know, get your party members back tie up these loose plot threads. Some of them are very like casual side questy plot threads. Some of them are obviously more meaningful ones. And there is sort of like a suggested order based on like, what level are you? Uh, what, what, what does the side quest ask of me? Do I have the correct party members in, in my, you know, reclaim to in order, in order to succeed, but it is still very open-ended. And I was doing the quest where I needed to get the last two party members back, Kina and Cheryl. Um, and there was a big boss fight that that involves. And I never quite, like what James said, I never quite realized like if there was a key, like if you do this, you will win. Or if you do this, you will understand what the, what the, uh, what the boss fight is asking of you. But I did find a strategy that worked, but it involved me going into like, all my character's gear and like this will only work if I make Zinniker, you know, resistant to fire and give him like a, a, a self-regen buff. And then this will only work if I make sure that Leo has his ultimate attack that hits everyone. And this will only work if I have enough items on hand so that Ez can do his like item crafting. Ez is like the Riku of this game where he like combines items together. And he's like the best character in battle. <laughs> and like so he's like I, a mainstay. He's I he's the best specifically because of his like ultimate ability that basically says I can now move. Well, three turns in a row more if you 
buff it. Yeah, so most of the mm-hmm. ultimate abilities are just like Leo does fire damage to everyone, Zinnikir does dark damage or not dark earth damage to everyone. But Leo, or sorry, Ez is like, I will act three times in a row, which basically means like he can buff you, heal, and do damage, or you know, two buffs or or top you off or whatever. He basically it's a very versatile ultimate ability that can suit so many encounters. And you know, there's there's this meme, right? Or not 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 really a meme, but kind of like a, a almost like a like a it's like a it's like a Gen X tier joke amongst uh, sorry Gen Xers listening to this podcast uh amongst like RPG players where it's like I don't want to use my elixirs what if I need all 99 of them for my next fight or whatever or my ethers or ethers but in this game it actually like almost expects that you will have a stock of items you will have a pool of MP and you will have to use it like you cannot be conservative you cannot be like you know timid about using elixir if you need it or you know keeping keeping a good stock of items on hand and like what if i need them later it's like no you need them now you are in a challenging boss fight and you will have a much harder time if you you know are super conservative just because you don't want to use your items or, or or whatever and i actually do kind of appreciate that where it's like i've got a pool of 12 elixirs and if i have to use three of them on this fight so be it because that's what i need in order to come out on top and i'm going to lose otherwise um is there and, an easy way to farm them? Because in the classic FF, it was never an issue because you can easily farm them or there was some kind of trick to farm these things. I don't know about elixirs specifically, but all the other materials, like a very useful material is Ether L, basically a very large MP boosting item because you're going to need it because you don't, your, your pools of MP are pretty limited it's not like other games where you like you don't heal up at save points you do heal up at ends so if you are able to step out to an end to heal up that that helps in your item management but you can like farm most items i'm not sure about elixirs yet maybe i'm not far enough in the game but uh yeah i do appreciate that this game is sort of like you have this capability to you know in the the very classic turn-based rpg layout attack magic item or, or whatever where it's like you will have to dig into your item pool at least the way i'm playing it maybe maybe uh, adam or james didn't do it that much but i'm like these are useful as hell and i'm going to use them and after battle i'm going to go to item shops and restock and actually like not have an infinite pool of money that doesn't matter because in so many games i'm thinking like tales of arise we end up with like so much money that it almost becomes no longer a a gameplay component you just buy what you need and you're it doesn't register anymore where here it's like you might actually have to like make a decision on do you upgrade your equipment or do you restock on items or do i need to go out and fight things just to get stuff to sell for money uh and it actually i, becomes- I specifically remember like as skills that are like haste and healing you know requiring like i forget it's been a while since i played it but whatever those items are like potion s's or just the various items that you need for the haste above mm-hmm. specifically um eventually you can buy them but like basically had to make sure like i have a stockpile of those because those are like incredibly useful so and like and then not only items but also so this game has a skill tree which skill trees are in so many games nowadays it's hard to like sell them as like this is actually a good component of the game and not just like a box on a check you know a checkbox on a list but i was doing this fight where my strategy was using zaniker who is like the tanky defensive character to try to taunt the enemy into attacking him and I saw that on his skill tree, there was ability that when you taunt, you automatically guard, so you take less damage. And I'm like, I need this because, you know, otherwise he's going to die too quickly and need too much, like, healing in order to stay upright. So I basically 
I could have either used some items that give him additional skill points or just level him up, which gives him skill points to make sure that I had that node filled before this fight because I'm like, all right, this is the strategy I'm going with. In order for this to work, I need this node filled. I need to go do this. Um, That's also the sick thing about the game. It's, it's free respects uh, all the time. So if you need to like, yeah, there'll be some fights I where you have, to about alter your entire, you have to alter your entire like chemistry of characters of like, hey, I need to build this character in this certain way for this strategy to work and then you don't have to go you don't have to fiddle with any like items or anything to get a respect it's just like you can do it at any time i actually forgot about that so now i'm feeling pretty that, silly. That, that's honestly really useful brian like if oh, you okay. like okay for this battle i don't need uh this you know branch of skills over here on the tree i can just kind of remove all those points and put them over here where i do need them for this battle and then for the next battle you might remove those and put them over here on the tree like you might have to like change how your tree is filled from battle to battle and also one other thing that i really like about because it's a turn-based rpg which obviously have existed for 40 years i don't know more than that and there's only so many things you can do with it and i remember this was reminding me about ruined king when i talked about sort of the wrinkles that that game kind of threw in but one thing that's kind of interesting is that a lot of RPGs these days, like if you read the UI, you win basically, where it tells you exactly what's going to happen and how effective it'll be and who goes in what order because the turn order is, is explicitly listed, which is true in this game as well. But also, like I'm fighting this snake-like boss, and this and this snake-like boss is kind of writhing back and forth. Where on the underside, it's more like a millipede. Where on the other, on the underside of its carapace, it's, it's got this weak node, and on the overside, it's got the shell and if you time your attack poorly you will hit the oversight instead of the underside and be ineffective the ui doesn't tell you this the actual like enemy model does and there's other similar things where there's like a floating enemy that has like shields floating around it and the, the ui doesn't tell you that your attack's going to be like deflected but obviously if you if you cast your spell and it runs into a shield it's not going to it's not going to work so i actually do yeah there aren't that it. many turn-based art there aren't there aren't that many turn-based rpgs that like you actually have to pay attention to like the idle animation of the enemy because yeah. you have to hit it at a certain time but there's actually like like unique hit detection spots and zones on the enemy model instead of like oh if you just it'll have like a standard bog standard animation like if it if your attack makes contact with this enemy, it'll show a hurt animation. One well, boss, and maybe this will be useful for Brian. One like one boss I struggled with against because I just missed the cue. Like I just didn't see it. Um, there's a boss that's like a giant flan. And okay. I was doing very little damage to it, and I was just like, I don't know, like I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do here. And I just, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the trick is. And what the trick was is you're supposed to hit this boss when it like opens its mouth. And I, I just thought it was just like a normal idle animation. Like, oh, sometimes he opens his mouth. And like, it wasn't obvious to me that that was like an opening. I just thought it was just sort of like a normal like that's, animation. That's him just, just that's like just a, game, a standard credit. It actually lets you know that the first time you fight that enemy. I know which one you're talking about. See, I totally missed that. And maybe I'm just an idiot. I remember Cheryl saying something like, those. we have to wait I, I I remember Cheryl saying something like we have to wait for the opportunity to, att- to attack, but it wasn't obvious that she meant hit the mouth. But <laughs> that's what it was. And it's one of like, those yeah, things where it's like, the anime. it's like, well, is, should the game be more explicit? But I actually kind of enjoy that it isn't. It's just the fact right. that we're kind of boiled frogs where we, we like expect 
this information to kind of be doled to us in a different mechanism where it'll be like an icon that says this enemy is guarding or he's not exposed yet. You got to wait where now it's just like, pay attention to the animation, dumbass. Like, like obviously the shell is in the way. Don't attack now. And I just kind of appreciate that. It takes a very simple concept like that and says, you know, now this is important. You better pay attention to this or you're not going to have a good time. If you can't tell, by the way, that I'm describing this, obviously I am not done yet. I'm about like 45 hours in. So it's a pretty meaty game once you put both parts back to back. Uh, but yeah, we have I'm quite com- a bit left. Yeah, I, like I, might, hours. I might not finish before uh, the deliberations next week, but hopefully I'll at least have both parts of the game like pretty thoroughly covered. Even if I if I don't see how the narrative concludes, that's not really kind of what is the strength of this game. I don't think the narrative is fine. It's good. It doesn't detract from it. But I just more enjoy that how how classic it feels, how meaningful your decisions are, how it's not just like press attack and heal and let the narrative carry the game because it's not that sort of game at all. But I do think that this is going to be one that I'm going to push for top five just based on my experience so far. It would have to really take a nosedive here at the back part to fall out of that consideration for me. Uh, I know that a lot of people listening to this and are basically like, uh, Apple Arcade, I cannot, you know, I do not give a shit or whatever because of the platform it's available on, which is valid. Hopefully we might see like a, uh, a non-subscription release. I have no idea like what the financials look like or how, what, you know, what the contract is that tied it into the Apple or arcade ecosystem. Uh, I think but, all they said was they had a million downloads or they were close to a million. Right. Yeah. And if like, if, if you have the capability at all, I would suggest giving this a look whether that's uh, an iPhone or an Apple TV or what other other vehicles that's available in. Uh, but it's, I, I hope that I, I do realize that the availability of this game is going to be a, a, a detriment to it just for consideration kind of in general, just because you can't just load it up on your Nintendo switch and play it or your PC and play it easily. So that's just the more, yeah, go ahead. The more we talk about it, the more I think, yeah, if I'm not <laughs> counting Final Fantasy XIV, uh, Fantasian might actually be the my favorite RPG I played this year. You know what's kind of funny? It's like when Brian said, pay attention to the animation, idiot. That is Final Fantasy XIV, <laughs> the hard fights later on as well. <laughs> but no one seems to turn their brains off when they're doing these fights, so they don't look at the animation. Why I think that you could you that I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but you could like make like a whole discussion about like how much of a game is delivered through UI and tool tips and that compared to like the art and the sound and the you know just the the more pure aspect of the game. But I don't want to get into, it feels like it's kind of like too high brain for me right now. Uh, but maybe, maybe maybe that's that. There's I think there's something there that you could really like tug at and really kind of like unravel and see like how that benefits certain releases over others. And especially in the RPG space where so much of it is, you know, diluted into spreadsheets and stats and, you know, these kind of idealized representations of how strong a character is, or, or even, even just the fact of turn-based in general is less arbitration of how a combat encounter plays out. Uh, so I think you could really tug at that if you wanted to, but uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about Fantasian just as a, you know, don't forget about it. It's, I think it was a really strong contender for the year.
Now, those are the only three games we had explicitly listed to uh, talk about here at the start, though I don't feel like we gave uh, maybe Josh. I know Josh is kind of, we talked last week about him just kind of dipping his toes into a few various uh, games, both RPG and non-RPG that he's been looking at. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up here on the uh your, your last opportunity for a for a regular podcast check in on games I, you've been playing. I, I am still I am still working through Omori slowly but surely, but I am I am gonna get, give it its due because I think it, it's one of those games that it it, it probably des- deserves that look. It, it's our like about maybe like two hours in, so it's not that far in, but there's already some elements of it. I'm like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. So I'll, I'll get into that probably you know game of the year time. Uh, hopefully, I've gotten through most, if not all of it. But uh, there are definitely moments where I'm like, this is kind of crazy what it's doing um other than that i i don't know why but uh, like i just after smt5 like i've kind of been itching for like uh, a game where like i just want to like raise like monsters and like like have like cool party customization and like raising and stuff and like i don't really want to go do another playthrough smt5 because of switch performance stuff so i never played digimon story cyber sleuth but people, you know, liked it over the years. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? And, like, that kind of cooked me in. I'm, like, 17 hours into it. All of a sudden, I'm like, what the fuck happened? It's like, it's... I've heard I've heard that if you, like, squint, close one eye and squint the other, the Digimon is sort of like an SMT game. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, raise like the, monsters. I mean, like, <laughs> the, ahead, the, no. the, like, the, like, the gameplay, the actual turn-based gameplay is basic and, like, not really all that great like it does have like flashy like unique moves for demon like what smd5 did but digimon did it first or you know other rpgs did it first um but like that like it's very you know it, it's very basic in that aspect there are some buffs some like magic and like some attacks but it's not that the, the the real you know the real strong aspect of it is like the whole you level up digimon to digivolve them into like other like high like you know there's like this whole Digimon hierarchy where like they're they start as babies like like the training stage training one training two then they become rookies and then those rookies can individual the champions into ultimates to megas and then some of them you can combine some of them you have to use other items and whatnot and they they all they all it's not like linear too it's you can like digivolve into like one of like three four five six choices for, for some of them and then there'll be times where you want to like de-digivolve them so you you can go move backwards because you'll need like a high uh stat called abi and like some uh digivolutions will require like your abi needs to be like at 20 or 30 and the only way to do that is to like move them backwards and move them forwards again to like raise that abi so they become like quote-unquote more experienced i imagine so like there's this whole like like leveling thing where like you're leveling them to do like get into a higher like unexplored like evolution and then there's this whole like training island farm that you can like have them on where they kind of like grind by themselves you don't have to worry about them as you're moving through the game it's a it's a it's a neat little thing i just one of those things it's like i kind of just like want like a game that's like has like cool party customization that's kind of that's scratching my itch for it and uh that's been that's been fine um i've dipped my uh, i i've spent some time with the another eden mobile game uh chrono cross collaboration i started that and put some hours into it um 
it's neat uh, because it doesn't like it doesn't follow the the storyline of Chrono Cross, obviously, but it it does deal with parallel dimensions. So you meet so at the very beginning, you don't even meet Surge right away. You you stumble into Harlan Kid uh, at, at a certain point, and then you have to kind of choose who you want to bring with you, either Harl or Kid, because they won't cooperate with another. Uh, obviously, because uh, Harl works for Lynx and Kid hates Lynx. Go play the game if you want to find out. Um, so it, it's you. Can, I chose Kid to to venture with, and then you eventually meet Surge, and then you're there's this whole mystery that revolves around hey, the cast of another Eden got uh, transported to another dimension, another parallel dimension, where in the in the actual another Eden game, there's this whole dispute between beasts and humans, and in the original Another Eden storyline, there's this place called uh, Unigan, and uh, who houses this Miglan's castle. And at the start of the game, it's occupied by beasts. But uh, you know, as you move on through the story, you eventually liberate Unigan from the beasts back to the humans. But in this parallel dimension, you, that 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 it's a it's a timeline where the beasts won and. Uh, uh, the main characters are like they they fell off that castle terrace and they disappeared. You don't know if they're they're dead in that timeline or not. So there's this whole mystery around that, like what the hell happened around here. So you're right now. I'm working with Surgeon Kid to essentially find because because in that in that parallel dimension, Lynx is involved because he's been spewing some things to the Beast King and up to no good. Like who knows what's going on. I'm 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 working my way through that. You, I I've kind of interfaced with you know some of the more unique battle systems that we detailed, like from the field effects to equipping elements to the Chrono Cross characters. Yeah, I need to. I I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, or might have just been we were chatting about it. I don't mm-hmm. quite remember how like Chrono Cross's element thing works. I remember it was something like you set up, like you said, like a, an element field, and it's some sort of like tug of war where you like have some sort of element in play but i don't remember it yeah i, I don't I think assume the I, mobile game is yeah, something I, similar somewhat similar but not as like you know in depth or granular like in the original game because in this one the field effects obviously you'll have your standard another eden characters also participate so the field effects are basically hey in this like oval shape like the there it is divided to like three rings in that oval we're like Say the uh, the outer ring is like green, and then the inner oval is like blue, and like the smaller uh, ring is like red. So that that means in that turn, wind skills will get a big damage multiplier. Water skills not as much, and fire skills only a little, but they're still enhanced just a little. So that's what like field skills are in that uh, how are represented under another Eden, and then how elements come into play is you'll find like these element items throughout the crossover so i'll I'll find like uh, one that uh lets me regenerate health one that does like earth damage and one that does fire damage and you can equip those onto the chrono cross characters and that becomes part of their move set and as you level them up they'll be able to equip more and more elements so at the start they're only able to equip two but if you level them to level like 60 They'll get another third element they can equip, and if you get them all the way up to level eighty, then you equip up to four elements that they can, you know, uh, equip onto them along with their standard skill set. So that they seem pretty versatile, but I haven't really had the chance to mess with them yet because I'm also 
it's interesting because this gives it like difficulty levels uh and like the the difficulty levels uh affect like you like the rewards you get because you get like these growth stars uh and as you play through the collab and they give you like items when you reach a certain amount of growth stars but i like the i'm just on the standard difficulty level i had to bump it down to veteran because standard is level 60 enemies veteran is like level 70 enemies i'm like i'm fine i have i've had like level 80 characters but my equipment is shit and outdated because i haven't played this game in so long and has so much content and power creep and whatnot so like level 70 enemies even though i'm like 10 levels ahead my equipment is bad and they're just like one hit from like a grunt will like be half health is gone it's like oh shit this is there's a lot there's a lot to deal with so that's kind of cool um i've also uh gotten back into blaze blue a little the fighting game that came out uh how many years ago because that got, oh yeah we got back a roll i got a rollback netcode update from that was announced at uh ceo 2021 one of the big fighting game tournaments here in the u.s um yeah so that's been really fun like just relearning it with friends and playing them it feels really really good to play now uh it's very similar to like if you were just playing offline similar not the same but it's it's really really good. So I've been that's you been can't a complain about dropping your combos anymore. That's what I, people used to say when you used to play Plaz, uh plays blue. You know, I don't I don't blame them. There's so many micro dashes for some characters like Naoto in the game that like it's easy it's easy to drop them in delay base. So I don't blame them. But now now that's been all fine and dandy. I've been relearning Kokonoe, so that's been crazy um i've also the just as the last thing because this, this is a recent and that this just came out um uh, at the game awards they finally unveiled what the matrix awakens uh, unreal 5 experience is so i went to go check that out just really to you know i was curious about it to see what it was like it's a really interesting like tech demo but it's 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 if you have a very passive curiosity about like game development like I would suggest you kind of check it out because it's really interesting to see like where graphical engines are gonna go next because you know a lot of games, even JRPGs, like have made the switch to Unreal Engine four, like Kingdom Hearts and Tales of Arise, you know, um, and it's and this is like where the future of video game graphics are gonna go next. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are gonna hop into Unreal Engine five as that gets rolled out, you know, in the years to come, and how this matrix awakens uh technical uh introduces it is at first like kind of gives kiona reeves like a sort of meta commentary of like you know what technology has come a really fucking long way since the first matrix movie it's like yeah kiona kiona i totally agree so uh, he's there with carrie ann reeves and um they after that whole spiel about like where technology has gone they it there's a sort of like sequence where it kind of emulates the freeway ch uh, chase in the matrix 2 which is like the best part about that movie it's not quite like that but it's sort of like that and it's like a very on rails like shooting experience where you're like you're you're playing this i forgot i forgot who the character is it's sort of like naomi from was it path of neo i think um i've only seen the first matrix so i don't and that was a long time ago i know oh. it, it, but it's a character that resembles that character i think her name was naomi um where you're kind of shooting a gun from off like the the, the rear of a car and like is there, there's a lot of agents after you so it's a very very pretty but very scripted and very linear um sequence so after you do that it kind of gives a pan over like the the not new york that you're in in the matrix uh showing off like you know unreal engine 5 
um features you know where it has like the lumen graphical engine it has like chaos which is like which is like that that's the name for like the physical or the physics engine that's like powering unreal engine 5 and yeah you can actually like toggle uh certain like aspects of like the the visuals in it so like say um here's like an, an example of like what lumen is like behind the scenes you can like toggle like the the city from day to night and that like sequence and it's all very fast you know day to night boom just like that or if you want to see like you know another aspect of unreal engine 5 it may go to like a more like you're not seeing like the actual like visuals that the game is rendering it's like the, the triangles that make up the, the game so it's a very you know when you see like behind the scenes on video games it's very like bright and very like colorful because like you have to have a good like visual of like how many triangles or polygons are in this one specific object or like like the like the material that uh, is comprising this model in the game like that will show up so that's really cool and at the final part of that tech demo it's like you you get to like roam around the city there's not much interactivity of what you can do you can like run around you can like drive park cars and um you know explore around that way but then there's like this whole free roam camera that you can do that you can basically just go anywhere in the city, but you you can't like explore rooftops, but you can look at them, and like get like a close up of like anything that you do in the game essentially. So like if there's like a car crash that you caused, uh, you can like just like kind of freeze frame it, and like see like the innards of like the like the car damage and how like that affected the environment to the other car, or like just like NPCs like the NPCs and like their clothing. It's like all very high visual fidelity. And it's like that's fucking crazy. Like how how this looks, it's like it just really makes you think of like what what are video games gonna look like when they like kind of start getting familiar with this engine and like using its tools. So it's just uh, it's just a really cool thing to see. And like the one of the really the like things that kind of blew me away about this um, tech demo is like the the tech demo part is like sort of open world so it has it's very large in scale but like obviously since it's like kind of emulating not not new york so but it's it's very similar um each like building has like you can see like the interiors you can't travel inside them but you can see the interiors and like the interiors themselves are like not like great visually but they're all uniquely laid out so like one room will have a different like layout from another room which will have a different layout than the other like dozens upon dozens of rooms it's like you can all see that from the open world so just like from like a scale aspect like that's kind of freaking crazy so it's a uh, and you can all see this too through like the visual like different visual filters and how um things are like emulating in real time so you can like you um in real time you can manipulate the, the sun rotation and seeing how different shadows will be effective depending on the sun's position you can um manipulate like if you want how many crowds you want so essentially you can like make it less dense or no crowds at all you can see how like the traffic uh simulation is being represented behind the scenes so like when you turn that on you'll see like just cubes like neon cubes going through the streets and i was i was talking to a friend of mine who's familiar with like game development and he's like yeah that's how it is actually represented like throughout game development like when you like 
let's say you're playing an open world game and you move the camera so you're no longer looking at like a certain part of like a street that has like filled with cars when you're not looking at that anymore you they basically become like these invisible cubes so they like they they don't render themselves they're not like actual models. they're only rendering when you're looking at them exactly yeah so it's a really cool neat experience and like you know if you have a next generation console like it's it's free and if you're really just interested in like the inner workings of like game development obviously only for that engine but other games have you know work under different engines so they could be different obviously but i assume you know a lot of people are really interested in unreal engine 5 and who knows like within the next three or four years maybe we'll see just a whole bunch of games now now under that engine but yeah that's all i've been really just checking out that's uh I, I'm gonna really work on Amori before uh, game of the year, and yeah, that's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild one. Before we go into talking about what came, uh, what the news that hit both before and during and after the game awards, uh, we did have a couple features that went up on the site. Uh, one of these games that Adam has talked about a few times on the podcast was a kind of an unheralded release from October, and that was Dungeon Encounters. And uh, Adam basically, this is the sort of game that Adam was the perfect person to review it, I suppose, uh, a gearhead uh, like that when it comes to you know stats and mechanics, and that's basically what Dungeon Encounters is distilled onto. So this will be one of the games that he is probably going to be a champion of, maybe not champion of, but in the most well-versed in to discuss at length uh, for the Game of the Year deliberations. He wrote up a written review up on the site for Dungeon Encounters. Uh, Adam, did you just have like one sentence to say on it, uh, on your review? It's basically just a written form of what I verbalized on the podcast before. All right, so we'll, so. we'll just keep it at that. So very distilled down to like the core of what a of what at least a turn-based uh, traditionally Japanese-styled RPG is without any of the fluff and how that how Adam took to that. And the other uh, feature that's up on the site right now, and Adam kind of touched on this in general when talking about Endwalker, uh, that Andrea, Andrea Sheeran did put up basically an op-ed about reflecting on the biggest moments of Final Fantasy XIV Online and her personal experience with that game throughout the years leading up to Endwalker's launch. Uh, so that's basically a very, a very personal article up on the site, which we don't do a lot of sort of that sort of stuff, uh, those sorts of features often. So it was really kind of cool that, uh, Andrea put that together for us. So that is, that is also up on rpgsite.net alongside the uh, dungeon counters review. So both of those things are up. Please go give them a look. Ahead of the game awards, we did have a, a short list of ancillary news that just kind of or just just to wrap out the year as you know we move into the next calendar year before people start taking off for their you know their holiday breaks and their you know their winter shutdowns and everything like that did anyone here play vistaria saga war of the scions back in 2019 when it released in english i want to i just haven't gotten around to it yet uh, yeah i haven't got it yet <laughs> so uh so vistaria saga is a series of tactical rpgs that are creator uh, that are you know developed by the Fire Emblem series creator Shozu Kaga, um, with some you know some series character artists and other staff behind as well, such as Mayumi Hirota, who was like the character designer from Thracia Seven Seven Six, and 
there was, as far as I know, a trio of games that have released in Japan over the last few years, and the only one that was released in English so far was War of the Scions back in 2019. Well, we did learn that Vistaria Saga Gaiden, the Sacred Sword of Sylvanister, will release on Steam in English next year. So this released in Japan in 2019, and will, just like War of the Scions, will get a late English release a few years after. So we'll have you know, by next year, we don't have a we don't have a clear date other than 2022. Uh, we'll have two Vistaria Saga games available in English. Um, there's one other game in Japanese called Heroes of Luca that is kind of like a small side project in the Vistaria Saga series. Prequel. That it, prequel. I understand it. So, um, mm-hmm. so that does so that that'll kind of be like the remaining Japanese only release. Um, and a Vistaria but, Saga. Uh, I, I, just to jump in here real quick. Yeah, no These games are just sort of like they're almost just like pet passion projects from Kaga. He just he developed the, he develops them mostly like on his own and with some like volunteers. Like I don't even know if they're like formally paid. I'm sure they get something, but it just they're he's making it with SR, SRPG Studio, which is you can get that on Steam. Um, and when he releases these games in Japan, it actually is just free. Like you can just you can download the Japanese games right now. Um, Dongan Entertainment is obviously localizing and publishing the game in the West. So they cost money here. They, they said basically outright, that's just like, that allows us to translate it, you know? So we have to pay for that. That's just how it is. Um, but yeah, there's the original game, which is out in both languages now. And then this game, which is called the sacred sword of Savannister. It's called a Gaiden, but I've heard that it's basically a sequel. It's just not called Vestaria Saga 2, but it's basically a sequel. Uh, apparently, there is going to be a Vestaria Saga 2, but again, it's just basically that's more that's more just the desire of Kaga to make it rather than anything like concrete. Basically, just him been saying a couple like other guidance, he has yeah. plans, but it's not really announced. Well, yeah. the word Gaiden in Japanese means like an inner tale. So it could be a sequel, a side story, a spinoff. People use that term for all kinds of weird things. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> but this is basically a sequel, even though it's not like number two. But yeah, yeah I really liked Thracia 776. I always forget if it's 776 or 766, but I really liked that game. 776. When I played it. Yeah, I really liked it when I played it a few years ago. Uh, and that was the, uh, was that the last game Kaga did? I don't know if he did. Uh, Fire Emblem Six or not, but um, no, he he left by then, and I think there was yeah. a whole story of Nintendo trying to sue him because he was trying to make a game that was he was releasing fire. games on the Super Famicom like in almost the year two thousand or whatever it was, um, very very late, and he refused to go to N sixty four. But anyway, um, I'm I've always been interested in these games because it's like it's basically like old school Fire Emblem is what it looks like. I just haven't played them yet. And now there's soon enough going to be two fully fledged games that you can play in English. We learned about the first week sales of Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Obviously, we talked about these games uh, for the two weeks after they uh, released that James had played through them out of the cast here. Uh, They've sold six million copies in uh, the first week. So surprise pokemon still a juggernaut i suppose now obviously the caveat that that's two games and a lot of people double dip to have you know access to everything but it's it's so weird we talk about like tales of arise or other games you know crawling to the one and a half million mark or the or the one million mark and it's like pokemon just six million out of the gate 
is what yeah. it is. <laughs> it's one of the largest entertainment properties still, you know, has been for and a that, long, that a six long, million yeah. in a week. That that six million in a week is basically on par with uh Sword and Shield. They also did about six million in a week. Oh, it's so. also in time for the holidays, so expand it. Yeah, expand that number two just rise up exponentially. You know, it's gonna be a lot of Christmas presents. Oh, Does actually, that uh, digital sales. Uh, let's. I believe so. Usually, the, the, uh, this is published by the Japanese website Gamer, so I don't have a clear. I don't have a direct translation on hand, but I do think that it is interesting to see that, like Omega Ruby Alpha Self Alpha Self Alpha Sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> did three million X and Y did four million. Let's go did three million. So X, uh, sorry, Sun and Moon did seven point two. So this isn't like the best performing pair of games, but it's up there. It's doing pretty well. And I have heard since uh, James talked about it on the podcast a lot of praise for how meaningfully difficult the Elite Four is. How they actually have like competitive teams in terms of like IVs, EVs, held items. You know, just general strategy team composition sort of stuff where it actually kind of feels like a challenge to get to the credits of the story of a Pokemon game for once, which is kind of like, has that ever happened before? So I, I just out of curiosity, um, Pokemon sword and shield right now, like life to date is at 22 million. So like none, just a little bit, you know, decent. I'm, I'm interested to see how well Arceus will do because it's such a big shakeup relatively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people might see Arceus as like a spinoff and it might not do as well. Right. But I, I have no idea how well Arceus will do. But, but, but at the end of the day, I'll have Pokemon in the name and having Pokemon in the name will guarantee you a certain number of million of sales. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about this on a previous uh, episode of the podcast, how Loop Hero is uh, releasing for Switch or ha- is now available for Switch. But uh, alongside that, we already talked about the port, but the, the game has sold 1 million copies uh, primarily on PC or sorry, entirely on PC for the first million. So just kind of checking in on basically that uh, Devolver Digital sort of indie project ended up doing, you know, pretty well, I presume, based on the the scope in the game. Uh, we did earlier in the year cover that uh, we had Josh kind of lead us through a, a video preview of sorts that we have up on our YouTube channel, uh, as well as a um uh a written no we didn't do a written review for it so but we did but we do have the um the youtube video on it as well now available for switch and pc yeah i imagine those developers are fucking stoked and i wonder yeah. what they're gonna do next if that this is like yeah is it, isn't this their first project and those developers yep yeah so mm-hmm. they they have a knack for thinking outside the box so i'll be very interested to see what they do from here on one of the remasters that kind of maybe went under the radar, we did talk about it briefly uh, on the podcast uh, in late spring, early summer, was the Legend of Mana HD remaster uh, on Steam and console. Uh, it is now also available for mobile devices, first in Japan, but now also available worldwide as of now. Um, it is on a lower price throughout the rest of the month, at least until the 21st of December. So. This is kind of similar to what we saw for Trials of Mana, which released on mobile devices after its uh, console release. So Legend of Mana HD as well. Yeah, just it wasn't. It was it was literally a shadow drop. Like they didn't announce that it was coming to mobile. They were just like, "Hey, it's now it's, you can now get it on your phone." Like, oh, cool. Well, didn't controls. 
Yeah. Didn't that happen? Didn't that happen for Trials of Mana as well during the 35th anniversary stream? They're like, by the way, it's on phone. Uh, it was close. I don't know if it was the same day, but it was like almost a shadow drop at the very least. Mm-hmm. It came out like a week later, maybe. But yeah, Trials of Mana released for mobile earlier this year, like in the summer. Now Legend of Mana. But yeah, Legend of Mana is like an action RPG. It's a relatively simple one, but you know, like real time movement and attack, like it's not turn based. So you, I wonder how that controls on a phone. So, but yeah, great soundtrack. That's like the remastered soundtrack for the Legend of Mana re-release is amazing. Now you can worry about missables on the go. <laughs> Legend of Mana is not really like a missables. It's just, it's a very uniquely structured game. You can, you can easily miss things. Yeah. I mean, if you play it without a guide, you're going yeah. to quote miss something, but it's not, it's not that type of game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. It's different. It's it's not like the traditional type of missable. It's just like how the game is structured is very, very different. Uh, we have another mobile uh, gotcha game shutting down. That is Tales of Crystoria is shutting down on February 6th of next year, 2022. It originally launched in July of 2020. So that's a lifespan of about a year and a half. And uh, all all pr- all premium purchases have been disabled. It's going to shut down, you know, worldwide all all versions of the game simultaneously. And of course, this also kind of happens like as we've had news recently of the upcoming Tales of what is it, Luminaria? So it's already out. out. <laughs> oh, it's, it's already out. out. All right, I don't keep on this stuff. Yep. The the uh, the released Tales of when did when did Tales of Luminaria release? Because well, uh, we'll it's releasing like third, chapters. Oh, uh, okay. Will it yeah, last longer than a year and a half? Uh, ooh, I don't know. The, I feel like the Monaria is worse than Castoria. <laughs> oh, Man, that, uh, that interview was a shit show. Remember that interview? What do you mean? Oh, man, they asked, they asked the, I think it was the director, some very difficult questions. And it was just like, it was just like, you're just been in a really bad situation. One, yeah, one of the questions was literally like, how can we be know you're going to, how can we know that you're going to support this game in the long term? And he's like, some wishy washy answer, like, just. We believe that this game will do well, and we will continue to support it. And then, like, I, I, yeah, his, his a month was, later, his support was Chris like, shuts uh, down. His answer is like, at least you can expect support because we're going to release like new characters like weekly, essentially, right? So you'll you have a base standard of how you know at least you'll know you'll have guaranteed support, you know, because we have to get content out for this game. It's like it, obviously he's not in charge of that. It's Bandai Bandai Namco hire us. What is just like. Man, you really shouldn't have like tossed this question for this because it's out of his hands. Essentially, it's like we can only do what we can do, you know. But um, he was kind of like a fall guy. It's it's good. It's weird, right? Because like you you saw this coming when Tales of Luminaria says announces like, oh, that's weird. They're they're announcing a ta- a new Tales mobile game when this like, other one just barely launched a year ago. Yeah. That's, weird <laughs> said it's like and then tgs rolls around out and I, I was like thinking i was like man they're barely promoting christoria and these like bandai namco ads like fucking like uh tales of the rays like has like way more elaborate like ads and like it's being pushed more than like a, a mobile tales game that came out after it and it's relatively new yeah. I'm like and is worldwide and is worldwide like that. Rays Rays was released in the West and then it shut down in the West, but yep. it's still available in English. It's just or in Japanese. It's weird. Yeah, it's it's still going strong in Japan and obviously has no. no I don't think that's getting shut down anytime soon. But it's like this this kind of like 
sucks in a way because I'll be honest, I like the the cast of Tales of Crystoria more than the cast cast of Tales of Arise. I think they're more endearing, have more personality, and have better chemistry with each other than the cast of Tales of Arise. And to some people, it's like that's not a high standard to to reach. For I them. haven't I haven't played Crystoria, but I am not too hot on their cast of Arise either. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so it's just like they they said like in the shutdown announcement in, in Japan that like. They plan to like continue its story somewhere else, and like, like these characters will, yeah, these characters will show up in other crossovers for a game. It's like, oh, great, thanks, you know. But <laughs> um, you'll you'll get a you'll get a. Uh, I guess Luminaria doesn't do crossovers. Yeah, but, supposedly it doesn't. So who knows? Who know? Who knows how long that'll that that'll last until they have to like be like. Well, you'll you'll get you'll get. I'm making money. This yeah. character will show up in Tales of the Rays if he hasn't already. And 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 apparently, um, you know, to people who are still playing story, it leaves off on a pretty big cliffhanger also, and they won't get any follow-up to that, which is um sucks for them. Um and and, and remember the Crystoria was the first Tales mobile game to have a turn-based battle system. It's not an action RPG. So and the way and the way it, it handled that it was like it was kind of neat, but you know, it wasn't really all there. It's just there. There was just like too many fundamental problems on the gameplay front of Tales of Crystoria with like timed raids and like that has to be like a a constant thing you have to do is raids in the game to like get like upgrade materials and build your characters and like the performance of that game. I don't know if it ever got ironed out because a lot of people always had like performance problems to the point that like if you were if you had great frame rate with raids, you would do, dish more damage. If you did it, you would just be worthless, you know, because it was because raids were one of those things where like. The more you contributed, the better rewards that you would get. I believe that's how it worked, uh, similar to Grand Blue, and it just you know like it, it has it had a great story and characters. Like that was the strength of the game was its like main cast and the story, but everything else surrounding it that was a poor experience. Uh, that just you know it just was never there. Like they they had other things besides the raids. You had like a PvP like thing where like you fought you you fought against like automated pvp but it was like it was something you kind of had to like engage with to get good materials as well and it's like it's just like so many things that bogged it down like away from the like the strength of the game so like it sucks uh honestly like if it were up to me what what i would do is like do the same thing with this hysteria it's like have ufl table like how like have anime seasons for the game like you know just make it a tv anime uh, these characters deserve it. This this story deserves it, um, and just like it, it's all without the fluff. So that would be cool to see. I would love to see it happen. Hopefully, they go in that direction. I don't have any faith that it will go in that direction. But that's um, it's it's just wild because the, like how can how can Bandai Namco expect any fucking goodwill and faith from the West, like supporting their fucking mobile endeavors, if they just continue to do this to the Tales mobile games? Like, yeah. of course, of course, this is like a worldwide shutdown. So there's both in the, in the Japanese ones, but that's they still have good Tales mobile games here. Well, meanwhile, in the West, they're like, again, really, and then, and then Luminaria isn't doing hot, hot in general, whether it's the West or in Japan, you know, because that it's just a poor game. I could list reasons why Luminaria is bad because. Um, I've tried so hard to like see anything good out of it. It's like, no, this is like a shitty game in general, dude. This is not great. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I, I can only, I, I'm having trouble believing that Tales of Luminaria 
will still be in service. Um, if not by the end of next year, then by the end of 2023 for real. So in about a year and a half, you say? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think Luminaria will be a thing by the end of 2023 at the very most. Well, this beats Sakura Kakume for. It does, yeah. Kakume didn't make it to its first anniversary. I don't think so. I mean, Kakume was just a fucking crazy dev story that we kind of uh, went into the throughout past episodes of this podcast. But it's just, man, really bad higher up decisions all around and yeah he kind of saw the writing on the wall i can only imagine what Cristoria players felt and luminaries thoughts like oh that's awkward and like as the coming months came by it's like yep you had to saw the writing on the wall and all of a sudden that like there's not there's not you know a common thing like a lot of more big well not even big but like just a lot of like well-known mobile games are shutting down like you know fantasy star idola uh, it either shut down or announced to be shut down. Ark the Lad shut down in the Japan, but it's still going in the West, <laughs> which is weird. Fantasy Life, Fantasy Life Online, same same deal. Yep. Uh, it's, Except it's, Bold Trend, like somehow just grabs the English license and there, releases it like anyway. A, there's like a big bubble with the gotcha market. It's either you're like here first, or you're just not going to make it. It's just too oversaturated. Well, I mean, it's not even just like, you you need to be, like, you have to come from someone that's like reputable, right? Like, Uma Musume is the most recent example. It wasn't here first, but it's coming from side games. They're has generally, a decent reputation, right? Yeah, they have a decent reputation, and, you know, it really it, it already built up a lot of, like, a big fan base because of the anime seasons as well um, airing before it. So it's just like in a weird situation. That's like how how do you become successful in the mobile game market these days when it's so saturated? It's such a hard question to answer. If you're not if you already haven't been like a big mainstay or have had a, like a an install base building up, like I don't know how you become successful. And um, you just can't get like players to like wail like crazy absurd amount for your game unless you have this connection with them or something. Yeah, and, and even then, like like even if you're trying to establish that like base of like just a small amount of whales i don't think that's enough these days you need to have like a sizable amount of people that like even spend a little it's not just the whales that don't carry you need to have like incentives where like you have a a good install base that are willing to spend even just at least like five dollars if you're willing like if like five thousand players spend five dollars on the game at least that's you know a decent amount to keep on going so i don't know it's such a weird and hard answer to to you know solve these days so you know best of luck to um tales of mobile games i know they will continue to try and uh get new mobile games out i do not know how you get the west to agree to continue to spend on tales of mobile games in the future a little off topic here but do you think bandai namco would invest in a rollback netcode for dragon ball fighter z um i'm sure arc system works would like to but they have to go through not only bandai namco they have to go through shoeisha to do it, you know, and Sh- and Shueisha is very, very protective of their properties. So I don't know. <laughs> I I would love to see it happen. Obviously, I don't. That, but there's so many. Like at least with Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear, that's all Arc System Works in-house stuff that they have already done. Like they've already filled out the contract contracts for it, but so it's all fully theirs. But for stuff like. Even for like an upcoming story that we have with Persona for Arena Ultimax, and yeah, with your question of Dragon Ball Fighters, there's like every 
every step along the way, if you have to go through so many obstacles to get it there, those negotiations and re and, and contracts, like they take so much time to like negotiate. Is it even worth it to do this? Because it it'll cost this amount of money, and of course, these obstacles will want their share of the money as well. If you're trying to re- renegotiate, you know, who knows? You know, every step along the way it makes it more likely if you have to go through these. Pretty much covers it for um, news stories that happened before the Game Awards that are relevant to our coverage. Now, the Game Awards themselves, I don't know how much time we're actually going to spend talking about the presentation, you know, holistically. Uh, in case you're interested, the RPG of the year that was awarded, like, very quickly in, like, in between trailers was Tales of Arise over... Your, your, your Replicant won Best Music, at least, you know. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, those, the other nominees for, for Game of the Year, for RPG of the Year, were Cyberpunk, because it's coming mm-hmm. over from last year. Uh, Shimigami Tensei. Uh, what else was there? There's two others. Scarlet Nexus was there. Oh, yeah, Scarlet yeah. Nexus. What was it's the kind of a, um, uh, I forgot <laughs> the other one. Um, yeah, I can't remember the other one. But it, it's kind of a weird thing where they're like that Bandai Dynamical cannibalizing each other between Tales of Arise and Scarlet Nexus to, to find it out. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out quickly what the other uh, candidate was. Was it Pokemon? Uh, oh, Monster Hunter Rise. Oh right, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. hmm. I'm so sub- like out of that listing, I would have gone for Shin Megami Tensei, but I don't know. It's hard. It's hard I to really it like. Even... I think Tales of Arise has slightly more broader appeal than SMT. It feels like a, it feels like a safe pick, I guess. They also like, came out Tales of Arise is pretty much like a traditional JRPG in like today's JRPG market, whereas SMT is kind of a more narrow like style of JRPG. So, and yeah. can you imagine, like, if Cyberpunk won? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would have. No, no, we we don't need to keep poking fun at it. It will come in a game of the year or debate. We'll make sure it wins. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, we have to we have to do the same exercise ourselves in a week. Yeah, uh, it, so, it's uh, in our list because it came out in December. Look, so. man, if if Cyberpunk wins game of the year for the site, it'll be. Amazing to to witness. I mean, I, uh, Alex, is going, Alex is going to defend it. He was going to be in that game's corner, so I look forward to that. He gave it a nine. Remember that? Uh, yeah, he, yep. he did right, give so, it a nine, but his review is pretty critical of it. And but, anyways, that's it. Will thing. be better in a year's time or so. Than I hope maybe. Well, that's yeah. what he said a year Here ago. we are. Here we are. It's yeah. the first yeah. anniversary of Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. didn't he outright say that part of the reason he gave it that score was because he expected it to eventually live up to it? Well, yeah, <laughs> not yet. Yeah, you're you're later. We're not there yet. Uh, but uh, right. where, 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 where are, are we? Are, are we at the seven point five, eight, eight point five? Uh, where are we at now? It's it's gonna get there to nine. We're at, we're at updates and improvements on the yet, roadmap. So. Just just wait. <laughs> right. Anyways, what? Okay. Where, where is it at? Well, what 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 number is it at now? Uh, the current state of the game right now. Where is it? At? I I could not tell you. <laughs> there, was a, I saw, there was like an update. Ago? There was an update that reduced how often the handlers of the game tell you that there's uh-huh. new cars to new cars to get. So clearly, that's game a half changer. point right there. I like it. Yes. So like eight point three at least. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's go with okay. that. Eight point three. All right. 
It depends on whether or not you obey the law or not, because uh, the way the police interact in that game uh, is still very weird. I feel so. All right. So. Uh, All right. It'll get to, it'll get to eight point four soon. Eight point four soon. Right. Other announcements at the Game Awards. Uh, I think we we went into this kind of knowing that it was obviously kind of a down year and not you know just the state of the world coming out of a, or still in a pandemic. You know, obviously over uh, the last two. Hmm? down year i mean it, I, I keep hearing people say that about 2021 and it's like no like for my money this has been one of the stronger years in recent memory i kind of i kind of really like this year for games too i really right. like a lot of games this year. But yeah pushback against that sorry but uh i do remember that you know jeff Keeley, the salesman that he is said that there was like three or four or five elden rings at this, uh, Elden Ring obviously had the big blowout last year at the Game Awards after being silent for so long, and I don't know how many Elden Rings we ended up getting. Was that Game Awards? That was the, uh, or was that Game Awards or was that Gamescom? I don't remember. I don't remember. But I, I remember him. He he said that there was like three or four Elden Ring scale announcements, and uh, up to the beholder whether or not there that's how many we got. Let's just go through all the RPG related announcements that were peppered throughout the night. Uh, the first one, well, this is an arbitrary list. I don't know if this was actually announced first, but um, Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade is getting a PC port surprise, launched launching for the Epic Game Store on December 16th, so in less than a okay. week. Okay, so I know you said you kind of wanted to get through these a bit quicker, but can I just say something about this announcement? Sure. So I'm pretty sure everyone here kind of expected it to be an Epic Games exclusive, right? Yeah, I yeah. feel like the writing was on the wall, sort of. I feel I, like the leaks was kind of spoiled it back, back a couple months ago. Yeah, well, there's been some contention over the price, and I kind of agree with the contention. This should not be $70 on PC. Probably shouldn't have been $70 on PS5 as, re- as a re-release. Yeah, what really uh, pisses me off is that... Square has taken exclusivity agreements three times now for this game. And they're still asking people to pay $70 for a late PC port of a game that was already a re-release of a PS4 game. You saw those Kingdom Hearts prices? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the PS2 game. It, well, I know those are bundled. Yeah, but. I tried to ask my friends to buy it, and they all been like skeptical they were gonna buy it but then they look at the price tag and they're like yeah i'm having second thoughts well some of the interesting things here and i know alex kind of tweeted about this is that uh the last time there was a major final fantasy pc release uh was final fantasy 15 obviously and they actually like called it the windows edition and they like showed how they partnered with nvidia to import incorporate like the hair works and these you know all these like really kind of bespoke features for the pc release of that game and how uh basically how what why it was worth double dipping or worth full price or whatever we didn't really get any of that here it's just like yep it's a pc version of the intergrade version of final fantasy 7 remake so like when they uh advertised kingdom hearts on pc they didn't really advertise like it's pc like stuff to pre-release so like i think it'll be a lot of when rubber when the rubber meets the road we'll see how it performs but um i just remembered like when kingdom hearts was announced on pc they didn't really go into it too but when it came when it when it was finally time like the kingdom hearts 3 pc port was like really really good yeah, so I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm pretty confident this will be a stellar port. It's just that it 
doesn't seem, at least if it does, they're not really marketing it. That doesn't really have any bespoke bells and whistles for a PC release. Uh, it obviously is the $70 price point in USD uh, for it's a PC $95 release. dollars Canadian here. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and... I was just curious. I was just looking at the Kingdom Hearts prices. So Kingdom Hearts on Epic still. The first bundle is 50. The second bundle is 60. Kingdom Hearts 3 is 60. And I don't think that even includes Remind. No, it comes with Remind. Uh, oh, it does? Yeah. It, it doesn't explicitly. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay, on the short It's page. even in the title. I, I I will say that, yes, like Kingdom Hearts 3's PC port, it, it was expensive. But at the end of the day, it's probably one of the best PC ports for a game I've played. The number of options, the support for full controller remap, uh, full controller remapping, the support for different like button icons, the support for all of these different features that aren't even necessarily standard in most PC ports. But this one basically had almost everything I would have wanted from a game. Well, I, honestly, if you want to see my thoughts, we post a review for it months ago, whatever. But it was a great PC port. I'm hoping Final Fantasy VII Remake will also be a great PC port. And, and like the, the the big thing about these releases too is like it opens up the the it opens the gates for mods. So yep. that's the that's the big thing. Like Kingdom Hearts Three got a shitload of mods already. Yeah. You know, the randomizers and things like that. Yeah. yeah Anyways, cool. the crux of my well, the point I want to get at is that it really rubs me the wrong way. That after taking three exclusivity agreements, they're still asking seventy dollars for a late PC port. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because it's it. clear. It's like clear that the fact that they took all of those exclusivity agreements and the game sold Game Busters already, this game did not need to be seventy dollars. It's greed. I will. Uh, here's my stance on it. I will just wait for the whatever, however long it takes for them to take uh, to get on Steam and uh, wait for Steam discounts on them mm-hmm. because I've already played them. I don't need. I don't have any like burning desire to like replay them. As like, I'll just wait for, for wait for discounts on them because I'm not fucking uh, like the the only game I will consider buying seventy dollars because it's like a brand new thing, and that might be cool. Is like first spoken, you know? Maybe who knows? I love Final Fantasy VII to death, but I don't support that this price either. And I think my takeaway is it's not as successful as you think it is. It's because, you know, 15 is still sold way more, but 15 wasn't a Sony exclusive, you know, for the longest time. That's yeah. what my takeaway is. For and, and, and the Windows edition or like the whatever edition it is these days, like they go on discount for dirt cheap for FF15, you know. I think Final Fantasy 15, oddly enough, seemed to like reach an audience behind beyond like the final fantasy audience or i don't think seven remake did no the final fantasy audience is big yeah yeah i agree with you that's a a fair assessment i definitely say at this point the word has gotten out about how you probably should not play remake before the original and that definitely is gonna have an impact i think well like i think everyone agrees that fs7 remake is actually a sequel disguised as a remake and no more talk about that because it's kind of spoiler territory but it is it is a uh i don't know it's a very loose interpretation of a remake what what does a remake mean these are essays you could write about that uh but it's adam i guess give you the final 
word here on this particular one because you have previously in the past like waited for pc ports uh for like neo the world ends with you which you then enjoyed like are you planning to pick this up or are you just gonna wait for steam or no longer interested neo is a little bit different because i knew the pc port was coming out right relatively after the console release and i wanted to play it even just for like year-end talk like i knew it was going to be a big game in consideration for things like that so i knew i wanted to play it but like for final fantasy 7 i played it last year at launch on ps4 i want to play like the the episode intermission stuff with yuffie because i haven't yet because i haven't played it on ps5 but i'm not like in a hurry to do that so i am interested in playing intergrade and I, i actually didn't get the ps5 version well, partially because I couldn't find a PS5, but also because I knew it was going to come to PC eventually. But it's just like, I might as well wait for Steam like a year from now, Hell yeah. two yeah. years from now. Yep. Is it Does it matter when I play it? It not doesn't really. Matter. Yeah. So it's not and going the, the, anywhere. Uh, the, new, the new content is fine. Like, it's fine. It's yeah, I know. It's just like an extra <laughs> chapter. It's not like it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's fine. And uh, Josh kind of gave us uh, a little bit of a leadway into this, but obviously they also did give us some new information about the upcoming Forspoken from the creators of the best-selling video game, Final Fantasy XV. It is releasing on May 24th as a, is it a, it's a Sony console exclusive. So, and I believe it also, it is also releasing for PC via Steam and the Epic Game Store and the Microsoft Store. So Square... It's kind of very a very hard dog to predict when it's how it's going to behave when it comes to PC releases. Uh, but Forspoken will be a console exclusive. I believe people have sussed out that it's a two-year console exclusive. And it will also release for PC. We got a new trailer for it. Uh, did this trailer register much for any of you? For me, it kind of looked like more of what we've already seen. And we kind of talked about how a lot of our impressions the last time we saw this were a little bit more lukewarm. Uh, has anyone been sold? on Forspoken I, I really, since last I really it. hope this game is fun to play. Like, I think that the strength of this game will boil down to how fun it is fun to move around and play, like, interact with, like, it's, it's like spell mechanics, you know? It's really hard to judge from a trailer, but the exactly. combat might be cool. Yeah, it's that's the so thing. It's so hard to judge. Like, the like, magic slinging. She I has, think, like, a bullet attack, an ice attack, you know, vines, rock stuff. And just, I like, to, this I could be see, cool. I need to see, like, direct feed gameplay with, like, UI and everything. Like, like show me what the fuck the player sees when, the, when, when like, you start playing this game. I do like, kind of agree I, I with that. The, there's so many gameplay trailers nowadays where they hide the UI to make it more immersive. And I kind of get the reason for that. But also just me as, like, what does this game play like? I want to see the UI. Like, yeah, I really, <laughs> I really do not like like yeah, like trailers that like uh, obfuscate like what the player will actually see when they play the fucking game. You know, like the whole like the like, whole Hellblade. This is actually gameplay sort of thing. Now that was also kind of a, an Unreal Five demo showcase, but it's just like, yeah, it's gameplay, but it's all scripted gameplay because you have you're hiding the UI the entire way through. And it just, yeah. I, it, I resonate with it less when that happens. No, oh, uh, like I, I wanna, I wanna, I don't know. Like I'm so like so mixed up for Flipkin because there's so little, you know. Like I don't, I don't know if like I have any hope for the story when I've seen it, what I've seen of it, you know. Like n- none of the story things have like really spoken to me in a really or forespoken to me in a really <laughs> big way. Sorry. Yeah, the the, the whole like, you know. 
uh, another you know, fish thought, out of like water, isekai. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'm the one that can make change because I have a different perspective. And the, the like these the, the tantas that there's like this like they're like the enemies, the bosses. What what is that archetype like the like the villain roster like the rogues gallery? Yeah, like a it's like a rogues gallery of different like people that are like evil in different ways, and uh, Frey will have to overcome them. Uh, and it's just like okay, maybe it'll be interesting, but it hasn't shown through in the trailers. I'm with Adam, where it's just like maybe the spell sp- the spell slinging will be really good, will be really cool, and cool ways to, like build your character around like specializing in an element or traversal or or whatever. But the story, I hope it's just fine. Or maybe it's yeah, now we good. we touched on this already, but this game this game is going to Steam and Epic, yeah. But it has the PS5 console exclusivity, mm-hmm. so there's still a, an exclusivity agreement with Forspoken just for the console and not PC. It's, it's also going to be. And this game is also seventy dollars, yeah, which this one I think is a little bit more acceptable because it's a PS5 game, and which is like those are game. already set to seventy, and it's yeah. brand new. Like obviously, there's still the argument to be made: should PS5 games be seventy dollars? Which exactly. maybe your answer is no. But if it's going to be seventy on PS5, I, I, I don't blame them for making it seventy on PC as well. That's just for a new game. That's just and of, and of course, be how like, it is. And of course, it's like going to be like on PC. Like you will have like pre-launch discounts. You can find like key sellers like, yeah. like on Green Man Gaming. And whatnot, and they're they're all verified, and they will have it. You don't have to pay seventy dollars upfront. I'm sure there will be. There's already. I think there's already some uh, sites that have it like for sixty two dollars. You know, which is still a discount. Mm-hmm. Sort of hidden in the announcement, but there is going to be like a digital deluxe edition of Forspoken, which of course has like art book and you know in item or in game item stuff. But there's also a DLC. So seventy dollars plus it's getting a DLC. Yeah, it's called DLC also, right? It's called quote uh, "In Tanta We Trust," and that's a prequel. So oh. it must be like what happens in the world before Frey gets there or something. And, the, and that's you, included you in the great. digital deluxe edition. But I just wanted to point out that like you're going to be paying seventy dollars for the game, plus there's a DLC. The DLC, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with paying for DLC if it's like a like a short expansion, kind of like the Xenoblade Two DLC. Yeah, I actually think the DLC that's, that's, is better than the actual expansion. Game. I agree, actually. <laughs> now, of course, but yeah, we don't know anything about the other than that it exists. Yeah, Final Fantasy 15 DLC precedent is not great. Like it was three really <laughs> average yeah. or bad DLCs, and then the rest were canned. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, the rest I, of read in a novel. Oh yeah, that's right. They were they were repurposed, but eh. Oh, one other small thing: the promotional materials for Forspoken say that the PS5 console exclusivity is two years. Oh, I, I had mentioned that. I forgot where that was explicitly yeah, listed. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I, I forget. I didn't know that they, they actually outright said it to you. <laughs> that's fine. I, I, I yeah. thought it was like it, it's, it's in the fine print somewhere. Oh, okay. okay, it's in the fine print of the uh, one of like. They have like all their editions and they have like an image of like you can get it in physical form on PS5. This is actually, sorry, one other thing. For people who love like special editions, this is actually one thing I've noticed with Square Enix recently is that like they are really focusing on like special digital editions rather than like collector's editions. They did this for um, uh, Stranger of Paradise. They have like a digital special edition with like digital things. 
but no like physical collector's edition. And same with Forspoken. Like you can either just get the normal ass game on PlayStation or console or PC, or you can buy like a digital edition, but there is no like special edition. And honestly, it's probably better for like, they probably don't cost as much to make <laughs> to do the digital edition. So that's why they like him. Anyways, I saw some people actually like upset about that. You know, people who like getting special editions. These games don't really have like a physical collector's thing. Whatever. Uh, we'll keep George in, in our hearts because I'm sure he's devastated. Yeah. Uh, another Square Enix announcement that was early on in the presentation, uh, and that is uh, hit upcoming game Babylon's Fall is launching on March 3rd for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 and PC via Steam. Obviously, this is the same game that we kind of talked about relatively recently because Josh played through one of the betas for it. Uh, we kind of already gone through like the sorts of things hope get tweaked before release, and we knew it was releasing early in 2022. Uh, we have a date now, March 3rd. We got a new trailer, about 90 seconds of footage. Yeah, none of it really uh, sparked uh, hopefulness. Uh, like, I, I was watching the Game Awards with, like, you know, the with several friends, and that, you know, two of them uh, were the people I played with in the Babylon's Fall. They're like, are we. Uh, uh, are we gonna go into it like oh i don't know like you looked at it it's like yep nothing's really looked improved in it it's like maybe the game is sick with like you know the the coffin ability or whatever but it's just like uh, on a surface know. level it doesn't look good like just visually and i mean both like technically mm-hmm. and artistically mm-hmm. now, i know that's just like visuals and maybe there are games with bad visuals but like great mechanics or whatever gameplay it's like i don't know so babylon's I mean, fall launches good. march 3rd but stranger of paradise launches march 18th so uh, are you gonna are you gonna make me review this item yes no i'm not adam <laughs> okay <laughs> you're free you don't have to review this but uh, I'm sure well, at least well, he, he, well, said here, he said it here publicly, so someone can defend me out there. Uh, who makes it. I hope one person attached to the site plays it, so that we can talk about it one Uh-oh. more time Uh-oh. in spring <laughs> next year. But it doesn't have to be you; it can be it can be Adam. What? <laughs> uh, another another Q1 release date is for lost ark so this is another game that had a beta recently uh and obviously it's been out uh you know outside of the west and for a while but it is releasing for you know north america and europe on february 11th of 2022 of next year yeah you get early access three days if you have like the founders pack or whatever Uh, um so yeah uh, yeah uh, i'm actually really curious and excited for this um uh, a lot of my friends have been really, really, really into it. Going so far as like, you know, installing the Russian client with like the English fan translation with that, <laughs> and then checking it out there. Um, it's it seems really fun. Like I played a little bit of that beta. I got through the epilogue. It's like it's very it's an action RPG like through and through. It's like it, you're you're not like hitting the air and seeing numbers come out of monsters. You have to be in there, uh, hitting them up close. And it's like it's kind of like you know sort of like a Diablo but MMO. Um, it's i'm really looking forward to it like i know a lot of friends of mine like have already booked like the whole week off like now we know the release date we're booking the whole week off for it um i I might too who knows i'm thinking about it but it's 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 exciting you know uh here there are really really good things about it 
And unlike, you know, some of the other, uh, so obviously this is being published by uh, Smilegate and they they, Am- they, 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 they screwed me over. Amazon is Amazon's the Western publisher. Smilegate yeah. is okay. the developer. Yeah. But, I play but, their mobile game, Epic 7. So I have a very good experience with it. So I'll, I'm looking forward to see how this goes. I'm just kind of more worried about how's the business model because most people are worried, like, oh, is it pay to win? It's like, what is the business? Oh, it's not model? pay to win. It's not like the, like the like PvP stuff. Like, you actually have to be like skilled at the game. Like, and people are very high on the PvP. Like, some people play this game just for the PvP, and there are, and there's a way for you to just like, you'll get up to a certain level, and once you get access to the PvP, um, it's you can just play that for the, for the whole entire like lifespan of the game and enjoy it because like PvP is like it's a separate level where like you're already leveled up and you have access to all the skills off the uh, like from the like from the offset. So it's really just up to you on how you want to build it. You know, um, there, there's no pay to win stuff in PvP because you just everyone has access to your max level. You have all the skills. Build how you want to. Yeah, they're, they're like you like single player and PvP. So it's all build PvP. craft and skill and not how much yeah, time so you go, put so, into the game. Yeah, single player and PvP progression are both totally separate in that game. Mm-hmm. And and PvP has like it's different modes you can go in like I don't know if it's there's a solo one v one mode, but there's definitely people are hot on like the three v three mode in that game. So it, it seems like a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna check it out for sure. I mean I already I already got the game for free from a friend. Like I sort of peer pressured him into it, but he, you know, hey, did he buy you the founders pack? <laughs> he bought me. He bought yeah. He bought me the founders pack. <laughs> and now you're, now you're like, obligated. Yep. It was like it was like good thing, good, thing, good thing. There's nothing else coming out in February. Yeah, absolutely not. Surely no no one else would put out anything out in February. It's a couple <laughs> nights ago, before, at the time before before we go into this, I just want to uh, put it out there. Smilegate and Amazon like dick me over the Lost Ark because. The the class that I wanted to play that was playable in the uh, in the beta for it is not going to be there on launch now for some reason. Like oh. I wanted to play, um, I wanted to play like the summoner class, and they're like, nope, it's not going to be there. Instead, sorceress uh, will be there. It's like, well, I guess I'm going to try sorceress then because I like magic things. But the class that I wanted to learn is not going to be there for. <laughs> Launch, even though I played them in beta. <laughs> what was the reasoning behind it? I have no idea for a localization. Yeah, I have um, no idea what, what, why it's not going to be there at launch now. <laughs> so the other announcement that is RPG related uh, that well, there's there's a few other trailers that we'll kind of rattle through, but the last main one that I, a couple people here have a vested interest in is an announcement of new versions, new ports of persona 4 arena ultimax you know currently for you know ps3 360 generation of consoles and japanese arcades it is now releasing a ps4 pc and switch version in march 2022 and now uh, maybe i'll hand it off to chow chow why is it interesting that we're getting a new port for persona 4 arena ultimax uh, there was no way to play this game other than owning a PS3 room, so it's finally something to look at. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite. Well, well yeah, there's a 360 room. So. Well, technically, there was a leak of the arcade uh, version online. Yeah, yeah. If you do like, yeah, but you go through the hoops of playing it with an emulator, and it's yeah. really a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. So go, go on, Chow. But yeah, um, why is this so hype? Uh, well, we actually get to play the 
arcade updates to the game that later on that came out later on, which we never had the opportunity. Yeah, so to, to give a little bit of backstory, uh, the console versions of Persona 4 Arena Ultimax were only supported up to a certain point. And like it was like up to like one point, I forgot which one, like 1.0 or 1.5, 1.5. Yeah. Um, but they ne- we never got the version, the 2.0 version that the Japanese arcades got. And the 2.0 version is like a massive rebalance and reworking of its mechanics. So like from just a very, very like high level example, uh, in Arena Ultimax, it added shadow court characters for every single character in the game. In the original Arena game, we never got those shadow versions. Only Labris, Shadow Labris was playable. The only shadow character in Arena. Like, I, I think it made them a little bit too strong. That was the problem. But in, 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 in Arena Ultimax, everyone got shadow versions of them that are very different from how they play. They're very high damage, high risk characters. But the the offset to them was they, they couldn't burst. And in, in like fighting games in general, like when you're getting comboed and you want to get out of like the combo, you have like this burst system where you can like kind of push them back if it connects, and then you have to wait for that like uh, charge up again as the match goes on uh, and the rounds go on and whatnot. But shadow characters couldn't in one in one point five, one point one point five of Arena Ultimax because they were so damaging. But in two point they gave ca- shadow characters burst back. So like not only do they get like their shadow overdrives to like basically get like a shitload of meter to do a lot of damage but they also get the ability to burst now so that and so that's a massive 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 like buff to shadow characters in 2.0 which the console versions up to this point never got and i I prefer they didn't get those buffs but yeah yeah (laughs) what can we say you know it's something new but yeah yeah. and and, and to be clear like we're getting version 2.5 in the upcoming re-release but 2.5 is basically just bug fixes with 2.0's balance so it's not a massive like rework it's just bug fixes to 2.0 so we're still getting that version the the big story surrounding this for the fighting game communities is well it's still unclear whether this will have rollback netcode or not um because obviously it doesn't because if you have something so good why won't you talk about it you know yeah, like it's it's one of those things. Like I don't know if it's gonna have it there. I'm I'm being pessimistic and cynical and saying it's not because if it had it, like as Charles said, that would be like one of the first. Bu- that would be one of the bullet points of this re-release if it had rollback netcode. So we're you know, but nothing's been announced, uh, but uh, on it, and we're hoping it does. Um, if it all, if it still has that delay based netcode, that would really fucking suck because as fighting game developers have learned as the pandemic has gone on is, hey, having great netcode for your game would really be great for the communities of these games, whether it's newcomers or like long-standing players. Like BlazBlue got a recent rollback uh, netcode test uh, on Steam, and it's been working fantastic. Like that has been really rock-solid rollback netcode. It feels like I'm uh, obviously playing online and playing offline will always be different, but it almost feels like you're playing offline with someone. Almost. And it's like, it's very responsive and great. Um, Blaze Blue Tag is going to get that next year uh, for both the PC and uh, PS4 version of that game. I also Um, feel like it's worth noting that um, it came out that uh, for uh, Virtua Fighters, uh, re- I'll call it a remake because it's a new engine. It's basically, even though it's the same game, it's a different engine. 
the Western side of Sega tried really, really hard to get that rollback net code, and yet the Japanese side just didn't go for it. So I wouldn't be shocked if there was a similar issue. Here. Yeah, because like, yeah, it's important to note that even though Persona 4 Arena Ultimax was developed by Arc System Works, this it could be very well be the case this re-release doesn't have Arxis like involved with it, and it's just like a Sega's decision with Atlas to re-release yeah. it. And then like 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 those contracts could be like, hey, Arxis has nothing to do with this re-release. So maybe they'll just be like, well, we're just gonna have uh, I don't know, Virtua Fighter 5's like fucking awful absorb delayed netcode. Who knows? Yeah, but, it's uh, worth noting that and I'm sure this is one of the reasons why for the longest time it was like pulling teeth to get rollback netcode in Japanese fighting games is that delay netcode works if it's connections in like from one city in Japan to another city in Japan. Yeah. So for a lot of those developers, when they're testing it in Japan, they don't notice a difference, even though there is one if you're actually, you know, like playing with your buddy from even one, from one end of the United States to the other. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I like it's great for people who want to like who never got through arenas like single player stuff, like the story mode, like uh, like Persona 4 Arena's story will be in this Arena Ultimax re-release because it'll have all the DLC with it that ever released uh for this game. I think the only one the only ones that the only thing that is being lost is like some of the like the old licensed music. It's like one or two tracks, I can't remember. But Persona 4 Arena's story was included as DLC in Arena Ultimax, but since it's that's all being bundled, people can see that story and see if they like it or not. Arena Ultimax's story and see if they like it or not. And um, there's also one thing I like to mention. There the release of Persona 4 Arena always have some kind of little problem. The original Arena had region locking, so people that yeah. didn't early. Yeah, that, that, that. you're reminding me, yeah, Persona 4, I, I, I don't know if Ultimax got region locked, but Persona 4 Arena was like one of the infamous, only like one of the only PS3 games to ever get region locked. Because uh, I was going to say, Ultimax, what they did was they cut out the English audio. In- oh, okay. So that was one thing. It was like, oh yeah, we would just prevent them from importing our game by removing audio. And if you were importing the game, or I mean, if you were buying the official version, you can't play the Japanese voices. So uh, at least for the story mode. Yeah. Right. that that's how crazy. Like I don't know who was who who was in charge of like Atlas at the time or to do that because obviously Arc System Works has no problem to release things in region free. You know, like Exerd, for example, on PS3. That was region free, but it, it was just was one of the arena back when Index owned Atlas. Remember I Index? forgot. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Index owned it, but yeah, Index yeah, because they were just some massive fraud company. Yeah, but whether yeah. it was Index's decision or, or, or Atlas's decision, it was like one of those weird things. Like we really don't want the West to fucking play this first. So, Jesus, man. Yeah, but was- yeah. It's just strange things around this game, and it was strange then, and then now we have like this strange thing of whether it's gonna have rollback. That's the one thing I want this release to have because it's a really genuinely fun fighting game. Like it's actually my favorite. It's like it plays like Blaze Blue, like really similar to it. Uh, You have a light, medium, and a strong attack. And no, 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 you don't have a strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have a light and heavy attack, but your other you have four buttons, and two of them are for persona attacks. Yeah, there was a. It was like a light and strong persona. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's also like an instant DP button or dragon punch sort. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to do the motion because there's a like you just press the 
the both heavy attack and both heavy persona attacks. And I think that's the that's the DP. Yeah, uh, the thing it does it's like you lose a little bit health. Yeah. But have, it's a lot of like invincible startup, so I guess it's yeah, except for the health that you lose, you have we have all the all out attacks. It's like a, it's a universal overhead in that game, and then uh, if you connect it, you can like go to the all out attack where like you kind of mash a button to do a lot of like uh, attacks and then like launch them into the air for more uh, attacks. It's a uh, similar to it, us in yeah, a way yeah the, like like it's like the. Like the actual inputs of the uh, like you put into the game, like um, executed text isn't like that complex. But there's like a lot of systems you have to like account for that make it complex. Like I think like Teddy has like the unique mechanic of like it, oh no, it wasn't just Teddy alone. It's like some characters like can inflict status effects on characters. Like they work like, like a persona games. Like now, to yeah. even get instant kill attacks. Like the was that spell from the Mudo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now yeah, Naoto has like bullets. That like will like if if they hit like a certain a certain bullet hits a character it'll like tick like uh, a countdown on them so like if it hits zero if you've managed to land enough bullets to, that hits zero they're now primed for like an instant kill attack and any of your mudo specials can like instantly kill them or like I think um um not Junpei the uh, who was the Junpei equivalent in Persona Four Yosuke Yosuke <laughs> Yosuke yeah. yeah Yosuke can inflict like the confuse effect on you I think and then it'll like reverse like your buttons or like no not your buttons your like your movement so like if you're holding like like to run forward you'll move backward instead it's like fucking crazy yeah if this game uh, let's just say it didn't have rollback I guess you could play for the story but if you don't really like the story that much. But you could kind of know what happens to the cast of Persona Free after after their game is over. So if you're curious about that, you know this could. Be you, a- you can play this game on uh, on Switch and glean what you might have missed in the base game uh, because that's not on Switch, <laughs> just yeah. like uh, Strikers. Uh, but it is also on PC if you played a uh, Persona Four on PC, and now you can play Arena on PC and follow the story through its very her- heralded sequel story in Arena. Now, there were a bunch of other like bit trailers in the Game Awards, and uh, I don't know how much meaning we can get by going through all of those piecemeal. We got a new trailer for Elden Ring. It was interesting because it was most entirely CG, but this is after we've had people like James and Josh play through the uh, the game already. So I don't know how much meat we can get out of another CG trailer for Elden Ring. Uh, we got a new game. It was basically trailer. the story premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a story trailer. Like, yeah, I liked it. it I also like the presenter. What I understand, like, some rune was stolen that, like, prevents or affects how people die. It's called the rune of death. And then, like, demigods fight each other. And, yeah. like, they're, 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 I don't, Sounds pretty dope. I didn't play it. <laughs> it's your typical like, like this, giant, trailer, like this you know? other. Anyways, demigods are something to do with Elden Ring, and you are going to be fighting. A, Amongst them, with them, against them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a new trailer for Horizon Forbidden West that was mostly gameplay, though it was kind of like very cleanly like edited. So the alloy would be in the middle of combo and the environment around her would change. And now she's fighting in a snowy region and a desert region and showing some new. I think like, there was a pretty good trailer. Yeah, I, I like that trailer because it, like, I think the highlight of that is like the boss designs of it, like how animalistic mm-hmm. they, they are, like mm-hmm. the Anaconda robot. And it showed like several of the different outfits you can get and, you know, several of the different environments and other monsters just in like a quick, like kind of souped up trailer. But, you know, I think they needed to show a little bit more footage because they showed like 
a good demo this summer when they did like that state of play, but that was really about it. So this is obviously more of a trailer than like gameplay footage, but it just shows in a, a little bit more, which is nice to see. Here's one that I know that you were kind of like anticipating Adam, and that's a new trailer for uh, steel rising from spiders. The last time they showed this game, it was a gameplay trailer that did not look great. Looked very stiff. Uh, but so they decided this time to not show gameplay. Yeah, yeah. CG trailer then. <laughs> yeah, and it's still like, this is another story trailer. Yeah, it's still like a premise that I don't know is that interesting. It's like a marionette maid that ends up having to fight on behalf of. To be honest, I, like, I, like I didn't know it was still rising until like it showed because like my friends were like, "Is this like that Pinocchio Liza Peaky?" I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they have they have a similar. Aesthetic both like because Victorian it's like era. Victorian. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is obviously French Revolution, but that's close enough. Playing as a puppet, you know, in an action RPG. So it's very similar to Lies of P, where you're playing as a puppet in an action RPG. But um, yeah, I guess the premise is is that like King Louis is evil. You're a puppet in the service of Marie Antoinette, and you're basically fighting like evil puppets. So you're a you're a good puppet fighting evil puppets. Pinocchio. Yeah, the last time they showed gameplay for this, it was just kind of... Uh... It just seemed oh, like really see. stiff. And hopefully it yeah. uh, looks better the next time we show gameplay. By the way, for people who don't know, this is from Spiders, who, pre- who previously released Greedfall back yeah, in and like, and, like, and, and like the Technomancer and a few others. Yeah. We got like a minute-long trailer for the upcoming Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Uh, it was mostly like a story premise trailer yeah Yeah. it's mostly like a little bit of story premise some characters talking werewolf creature thing i forgot its name they 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 announced the name after it but it's like it was i I think what i got out of it was like i couldn't tell if the person who fought in it was the 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 boat deployment lady from rise or her sister or someone related to her i don't know but it sure looked a lot like her Uh, we also got a pretty long trailer and kind of even they, they talked uh, they preambled going into the trailer a bit for uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderland. So maybe James is the one that's best to talk about this. So Tiny Tina is obviously a Borderlands character of some renown. Uh, Borderlands itself is already like RPG adjacent. Tiny Tina, the whole premise of Tiny Tina's Wonderland is that she is basically a GM of a tabletop game, clearly like, you know, playing up to being a you know in-universe version of dungeons and dragons and this is basically called bunkers and badasses (laughs) yeah is the the in-universe game (laughs) yeah um so there was a borderlands 2 dlc scenario that kind of did this as a parody it was really popular so i guess they realized oh we can we can build off of this for an actual like a spinoff and it's like you know what that's a cool idea for a spinoff i'm all here for it uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of dig it. It might, it might look fun. I'm not sure yet. I might play it with friends. I, I don't know if like I gel with the tonality. Obviously, the tonality is like very irreverent, very like hyper. Like there's a part of the trailer where it's like a cheese it falls onto the game board or whatever. Like though, actually, that's a magic meteor or, or, or something like that. Uh, by the way, I don't think I think I buried the lead here. Uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is releasing on March 25th of 2022. So 
another just sneaking in the end of Q1 there. Uh, what other trailers did we get? We got one from uh, Monolith, the team behind, not Monolith Soft, Monolith, the team behind the Monolith recent, Productions. Yeah, the recent uh, Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War games, which are RPG-ish. Uh, they're making a Wonder Woman game. So didn't see anything. It was uh, basically just a teaser. No gameplay, not even like a whole lot of CG, to be honest. Just just kind of establishing a Wonder Woman game is in production from the team at Monolith. They uh I think I saw later that it will have the Nemesis system, which again is the system that is heralded from the Shadow of Mordor slash war games, but is also like patented so no one else can use it, which is kind of a shame because like some people think that Nemesis is patented. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I know uh I've seen like I've seen like other developers like take the piss on it a bit where it's like, gee whiz, this would be really swell in like an Assassin's Creed or something else. Too bad no one else can use it. And I know some people thought that like the idea was good, but it wasn't executed well because Shadow of Mordor was too easy. I never got into Shadow of War. It just looked too derivative. I really like Mordor. Yeah, I didn't like War because of the whole monetization thing of like you really, if you didn't pay up, you had to grind to like see the end of the game. And I know yeah. that like they lowered the requirements eventually, but it was like it already. It At that point, your interest had waned. Yeah. Yeah, so on paper, Wonder Woman is called an open world action adventure. Oh shit, it's banned from this podcast. Oh damn it. Yeah. Can we are we allowed to talk about this? Well, we don't really know much else about it because they didn't they showed like a render of Wonder Woman and that's it. Yeah, it could be cool. Like, you know, we don't we don't really see a high high big budget like Wonder Woman games. So Hopefully but I had been wondering what Monolith had been working on because it's been a few years since. Yeah, maybe it's a Breath of the Wild game. I mean, they show those Sonic games that look like Breath of the Wild. Well, every 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 <laughs> open world game is Breath of the Wild. They could have made the SMT five uh, uh, announcement trailer look like Breath of the Wild, you know, if they really wanted. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, and the uh, people are wondering where the and the Nemesis system announcement was uh, on the trailer description from the youtube upload of this announcement from warner bros game it says powered by the nemesis systems gamers will forge deep connections with both enemies and allies as they progress from a heroic fighter into a proven leader so there it is uh, does, does does wonder woman have enough villains to do a nemesis system that is a great know. question <laughs> she has the lasso of truth an invisible jet and i have no and the, like their gauntlets and try to or the wrist bracers, not gauntlets. I'm not up to date on my DC Rogues Gallery. So. To, yeah, I'm trying to think what else does Wonder Woman have. There could be some really cool movement mechanics if they uh, do the Lasso of Truth thing cool. And the only other thing that is might be an RPG is Dokev. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. It is the open world like creature collecting game from Pearl Abyss. It was announced back in 2019, and I think it went dormant until we saw gameplay earlier this year, and then sort of again at the game awards where it wasn't really it gameplay was music it was video an, it was an yeah. in yeah an in-engine music video from uh it was kind of weird a, to be honest a, a k-pop group i thought it was fun even though like i was completely over my head i was like i don't know what i'm looking at but i'm enjoying it so it, it's one of those things like i think the game looks better is actually like showing gameplay i don't know if it's like great for like having the little kids dance i'm like i don't know if the bottles are like the, like the, that's the thing about the game. It's like the gameplay looks cool, but like the models, the character models are like I need to like get over that barrier of it like looking weird to me. I'm uh, still kind of worried about the business model. It's from 
what is it? The publisher of Black Desert Online. You know, that's one of the biggest pay-to-win MMOs out there. That's a grind fest. All I know about Black Desert Online is one. I uh, one of my friends is apparently a moderator on its on its official Discord, which I only learned like a month ago. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Uh, two. One of my other friends who gave it a shot. All he did was horse breeding in that game. I've heard yeah. that is a game. I like how we immediately talk about Black Desert and Crimson Desert instead of DoKV. Uh, I have heard that the black desert does have like plenty of space for you basically can be a trader and that's it like you only trade horses or, yeah, or cart stuff from one city to another yeah. just because i want to give it its its proper due the music video was of the song rockstar from a korean group galactica is the writer okay. of the uh uh of the song well, that was so. the, that was the song that they played in the gameplay trailer at e3 or gamescom or whenever it was oh so, and so it's, okay. like, it's like so, the game's theme song gotcha I yeah I I wanna I don't know I need to who knows when this game is gonna come out this feels like this is a game that's like not gonna be a thing till like 2023 24 apparently IGN at one point was like it's coming out in 2022 and then Pearl was like no don't say that it yeah. probably won't <laughs> that's right I forgot about that <laughs> all right before we move on is there like are there any like non RPGs that like you guys thought were cool. Like at the Game Awards, like they're just caught your eye. Uh, at the Game Awards, best narrative award went to Guardians of the Galaxy, which I've heard that game is not really an RPG. Um, but I've heard that like one of the strengths of that game, even if you're not like a superhero person, is you know its character writing, especially. Yeah, I've as like a linear story based, apparently not that long, like a 15 hour game game. Yeah, so uh, I've I've heard a lot of co- like. Uh, it's an uncommon sentiment about that game where people say Guardians of the Galaxy is my favorite Bioware game. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting so, in the last that. few years we like have all these like Bioware substitutes. Like Greedfall is a decent Bioware game. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's kind of like Mass Effect. And it's just because like, no, we did not see any Dragon Age. We did not see any Mass Effect. Uh, so this has been the place where those games have been updated on in the past, but not this year. Uh, I'll just give a quick shout out. Finally, we have a date for the Cuphead DLC. I've been uh, fiending for it. I'm I'm really happy that like that's coming out next year, uh, in June. Uh, I, I still remember my Cuphead experience being I beat it in one sitting, and it was a very intense Saturday morning. Um, I'm probably great, do... great game. Yeah, I'm well, honestly shocked of how long it took that they didn't just spin it off into its own like sequel. Yeah, apparently yeah. they announced the DLC before they started production on it it's 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 been a long road but i'm really excited and the uh, uh one other thing i want i want to give a shout out to is the 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 unveiled the bokeh game studios slitterhead uh obviously from the silent hill siren gravity rush creator uh also being uh from keichiro toyama that's his name and that's also being uh, composed by akira yamaoka so it's kind of like uh not exactly all of team silent coming back together but you know spiritual successor obviously um it looks really cool. Uh, I, I like that, like that it was giving a, a creepy tone until like it actually got to like the actiony part of it. It's like I kind of wanted something more creepy than actiony, but I'll take it. You know, I'm really curious about that game. Uh, so, Everyone yeah. loves the name Slitterhead. Slitterhead is such a weird name to like say. <laughs> I know some people say like they love it, it, and some people say they hate it. <laughs> like the, just the word Slitterhead. Yeah, I think it, I think it's weird. 
<laughs> but I, I don't hate it. I think it's weird. Maybe they're just trying to do a homage to the pyramid head, you know? Who knows? Yeah, but uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to Say see. Say Slitterhead just three times fast. Slitterhead. Oh, stop saying it. Slitterhead. <laughs> it's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, what's next? They're going to create a game and call it Quiet Valley? Ooh. Don't give them back ideas. A couple other things that have uh, crawled through at the end of this week uh, outside of the Game Awards. Uh, we did get an announcement for dates for console ports for Edge of Eternity, which released uh, on PC in June of this year. It is coming to PlayStation and Xbox consoles, both this and previous gen, on February 10th of next year, and then Switch on February 23rd. So uh, really close to... Um, when Elden Ring releases, so, as we always have to keep uh, an eye on it. The Switch, the Switch release is newly announced. Like that wasn't a thing oh, okay. before, and it's also cloud version, which on I Switch. feel wow. like it's sort of weird because this game doesn't like it's. It feels like this is more of a like a development like resource thing rather than you know being like a game that's just hard to support the Switch because this is like an indie dev. They probably just don't have the time or resources to make a good Switch port, even though like this game doesn't seem like that intense. I, I wonder if that's but, like I, I really I have I am dying to know what like the sell rate is on cloud versions for Switch. Like, are, is that just the thing that like people really like, or is just like the the? the, the yeah, I wonder like how much Marvel Ready to the Galaxy sold on Switch because yeah. that's got a Switch cloud version. I forgot um, that I was a thing until you mentioned like, oh yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people like excited for this game, even though to me it just sort of seems like like a really budget, not JRPG because it's developed by French people. But um, it's apparently in terms of combat, the system that it's most similar to is Wild Arms Four and Five is what I've seen compared, which is like a hex based, like not really tactical RPG, but you know turn based RPG with this sort of hex based movement consideration. Um, but anyways, the, you know, sometimes it's interesting to see like these indie developers put out, you know, games with cool ideas that may not have necessarily the budget behind, you know, big, did anyone here play the PC version of this game in back in June? Sorry. Did anyone here play the PC version of the game? No, I haven't. Uh, It's one of those things like too many games way, way in the backlog. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get around to it when I get around to it, but it's not a priority right now. But you know, I'll more power to them. Uh, some of the final things on here that are late additions to the podcast. Uh, we have a couple updates on Super Robot Wars 30, as we typically do near the end of these. Uh, Josh, tell me about this. Uh, what is this? This new protagonist that's being added. Oh yeah, so the, the SRW had another live stream, and they had uh, some news about SR- Super Robot Wars Thirty. It's already been out for a few months now, um, and the one of the uh, units coming in, th- in this month's update, which hasn't been dated. I was wish there was a date, but there was some bugs in the first one, so they I, don't, I imagine they want to take their time with it. But the the free unit for this month's update is the protagonist of the. Super Robot Wars DD mobile game. Uh, I think the I don't know if they have a name, but the, I think it's like Dido or whatever. But their their mech is uh, called the Didalian or Didalian, um, and they come with a bonus mission. Um, so that's ca- kind of cool because they 
the 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 crossover is uh, goes both ways. So the DD mobile game will get Edge and the Huckabine as a collab unit for that mobile game over in Japan. Um, so it's it's cool to see just having like some representation for that in like a Western release. Seeing you know because that's a that's a cool looking robot. Um, so I'm, uh, but we no no date yet on when that's gonna come to the the Western release. the The bigger news uh, that was revealed in that live stream that uh, was revealed was the long long time Star uh, Star Wars <laughs> Super Robot Wars producer Takanobu Tarada uh, had uh, is has left BB Studio that has been a thing since August, um, but he chose to reveal it on that stream. And uh, he's still the he's it's kind of like a Shoji Meguro situation with Atlas where he has officially left that, but is still supervising, uh, you know, current uh, SRW projects. So he's still working with Bandai Namco and BB Studio on the series, but more of like a super uh, outside supervisor role uh, going forward. Um, his successors are, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, his successor is Hiroaki Ochi. He's the, he was the producer of the now uh, canceled, uh, shut down SRW Cross Omega mobile game. But he's also the current producer of Super Robot Wars DD. So it'll be really interesting seeing where he'll take the series uh, going forward because we don't know we don't know his chops on a console game yet. He's only worked on the mobile games. Um, as far as I know. Uh, when it comes to the producer of all of the Super Robot Wars games, they kind of have like the head and final say of like which um, anime series or series are going to be in the game. Sometimes it could be handed down by Bandai Namco, but usually they're kind of like the ones who are constructing the rosters together for them. Um, the director for uh, thirty Super Robot Wars Thirty is Bogami, and I assumed he'll be like you know uh, he'll stay in that role moving forward as the director. So, I've, uh, so the future of the series is going to be between Ochi and Mogami, um, and yeah, that's kind of just the big news with uh, Super Robot Wars right now. Is like that's kind of the big talk of the community is like where where will the series go now with without Tarada uh, as the main producer because he's just been on it for so long and he's been very reliable and trustworthy uh with the series so who knows now the uh, yeah he also did reveal that he's uh working on the next super Bob wars og mainline game so that's in development who knows when it's going to come out it's going to take a few years uh obviously but that's that that's something that's really exciting for fans of that uh super Bob wars subseries because the og series is really 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 cool um yeah but you know all all the best to him he's he left because he wanted he the main reason he left uh bb studio because he wanted to work on other things just not everything bb studio related not just super Bowl wars related he wanted to pursue his own endeavors alongside that so this was the the best path to it and all the best to him you know um this it's just uh, like an ongoing thing we're seeing with you know veteran japanese game developers you know, they're, they're, I was thinking of Negoshi at RGG. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that you know, they're getting up in years. They want to pursue their own uh, projects, and yeah, the, we see it with Negoshi, as you mentioned, Meguro with Atlas, and now Terada. 
here. So it's good. This will be the obviously the last time we'll see more and more of it uh, coming forward. I think it's just a lot of you know how do you properly pass the torch of like this long long series, you know, both with Yakuza, both with um, uh, Miguel's works on Atlas, and now with SRW. So. You know, it's uh we're we're coming up onto a new generation of game developers and seeing what their uh creative vision is for you know long-standing IPs and series. It's 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 scary and exciting. And as of the time of recording, we're about we're under twelve hours away, I believe, from the second day of Grand Blue Fantasy Festival, uh, Fest two thousand twenty one, and most keenly interesting for us is. One segment where they will talk about both the future of Grand Blue Fantasy Versus and Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. So by the time you're listening to this, whatever is going to be talked about will probably be up on the site at rpgsite.net. I'm holding you to that, Adam, I suppose, uh, if they do announce anything substantial. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how much anticipation or excitement there is for that. I know that that game a lot of people have been looking forward to for a long time and we haven't got, gotten many updates on Relink. Like it was like we got an update at the end of 2019, and that was roughly when they announced that like Platinum is no longer working on it. And then at the end of 2020, they showed some gameplay. I know some people were a little bit cold on it, the gameplay they showed last year. But that's basically all we've been getting are like these once a year little updates on the game. So it's just like maybe this year will be the year they. Like announce a release date. Yeah, we'll I think I think the most we can hope for is hopefully there's a substantial substantial trailer showing what the fuck you do in the game, how it's structured, along with the release date. I think it's been long enough, long overdue. We this game needs to come out sometimes. There, there's there's a meme image of like you know you see these sometimes where it's like Grand Blue Fantasy Relink coming 2018. <laughs> Reminded of Persona Five all over again. Coming, yeah, coming winter. winter 2014. Yeah. If I remember, during the anniversary stream, I think they said don't expect any news till 2022, I think. I yeah, know. they did last year. So we knew that we weren't getting anything this year. But so I don't think it seems like it hasn't been a smooth development, but I know people are still looking forward to it. But it the- seems like what it is at this point is like a mission based action RPG where you pick like four Grand Blue characters and it's multiplayer or single player. It's either it's either you and AI or you and three friends are like doing a mission in like a cooperative RPG like level. It seems to be the type of game it is, but again, they haven't like stone much really. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll we'll find out pretty soon. It's not that long away. By the time anyone's listening to this, it'll be announced. (laughs) Okay. Am I going to get mad tonight? No, I don't think so. The question is more like, would you still go back and play grand boo versus if they announce a rollback net code? Um, uh, ooh, the current state of the game, I don't know. If they, if they announced it with a balance patch, maybe. The current state of Rambler right now fucking blows, dude. <laughs> and here we are, coming up on nearly three hours of recording, uh, and that covers us for the last regular episode of the Tetracast for 2021. And... Uh, Basically, all five of us that are here right now recording have been here for the large majority of all of the recordings and with only a few weeks missed for any individual contributor here for usually outside, you know, real life, you know, uh, conflicts in their schedule. So basically, thank you, Josh, 
Thank you, James. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Chow, for sticking with me throughout the whole year for recording these. Obviously, we'll speak again in you know a week to have an even longer recording session for talking about uh, games of the year. But I do just want to say, you know, thanks for putting in the time each week uh, on, on our weekends to to record these uh, with me. Yeah, no problem, dude. It's always a blast. And, you know, the, this whole pro- podcast uh, relaunch thing wouldn't be possible without you and your persistence and perseverance to do it. Uh, you've been a wonderful host. Thank you so much for doing it. You know, you've, been, you've done a fantastic job. So we do have the uh, Dungeon Encounters review up on the site, as well as the Final, for- Final Fantasy fourteen feature from Andrea uh, as well. All the news from the Game Awards, including all the trailers that we kind of just kind of rapid-fired through, are also up on the site as well. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, we'll have whatever the Grand Blue announcement is and anything else relating to end of the year stuff. Uh, as we get into late December, early January, we'll start you know compiling all of our features, the the most anticipated for next year, the the poll results as well, which is going through December for the readers voting for their favorite games of 2021, and of course the 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 main RPG of the year feature will go up likely early in january if i had to guess uh we also have our rpg site links on all of the social media channels on facebook twitter instagram and youtube you can visit our discord by going to discord.gg slash rpg site or hitting the icon at the top of our homepage. Uh, it might be a little longer than a week before you hear from us again but the next time you do hear from us it will be the game of the year recording and so look forward to that. It's always kind of fun to hear. You'll, you'll obviously see where our results end up, where you can see our top 10, our top five, our winners and our categories. But if you want to hear all the discussion that goes behind how those lists are put together and decided on, that's what the recording is basically for. It's for showing basically all of the considerations that go into play when putting that list together. And then, of course, uh, back in January, we will re- we will you know reconvene with our podcast as normal as we go into 2022. So, thank you so much for listening throughout the whole year. We always appreciate all the comments and all the uh, feedback that we do get on our YouTube uploads, on our site posts, and uh, on the various podcasts at podcast apps that you find us on. So, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay safe, take care. We'll see you then. Thank you, listeners. Happy holidays.